Greetings, friends. Just a quick little heads up and an announcement. We know we've been gone away for a while. Details of our unintentional absence will be explained at the start of the episode. Just a quick little one. Basically, me and Joe moved house. We had a huge problem. Our electrics, our heat, everything went. We've been living in chaos for the last month and a half or so and have only just gained our ability back to produce podcasts. So please forgive the delay in this episode. This episode, of course, requested by Joseph Adams, aka Gurkaman, on how-to commentary. This was requested over on our Patreon page and if you've not done so already do check out our patreon page you can get access to over 36 that's right 36 full episodes reviewing all of the wwe pay-per-views going back to 2015 joe and i on her journey as a new fan watching all of the pay-per-views it's certainly the most unique set of reviews you'll find on recent wwe events on the internet Thanks, everyone, for your patience in the delay. Thank you massively to our backers on Patreon, including Gurkaman, for supporting us and requesting this episode. But for now, enjoy how-to commentary. Greetings, friend, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And hello, friends, we are back after an unplanned exodus, an unplanned sabbatical. We were on a bit of a break. No, not like Ross and Rachel. Joe and I love each other much more than those two geeks ever could we we had a bit of a problem we uh we moved into a house and uh shortly after moving into that house we uh we we realized that the house wasn't livable in a way i mean that the whole house was a fire hazard the house was broken so <laughs> short of getting a new one which i did i went to the shop and i said here you take me for a mug or i give us another one like you know this one's faulty <laughs> apparently that's not the case that's not how home ownership works so we were without uh, electricity, heating, hot water. Hot water. That's the, the the triple threat there. The real, you know, carpets. Carpets. My Mount Rushmore of living is electricity, carpets, hot water. And carpets doesn't sound like that big a deal because you just say, oh, it's like normal floor underneath a carpet. Well, yeah. Apparently, it's not. No. Apparently, underneath a carpet is a hellish existence of dust, mud, and general awful dangerous tools like razor blades so if you are a backer on patreon you've already gotten exclusive access to our horrible past you know month and a half to two months of uh it's been some hard times that's just to say and the ITR podcast and the other podcasts I do fortunate that um, I had a lot of stuff recorded in the bank before this happened that we went to we did our live shows and we're like yeah I'm going to move into this new place and start churning out some content and unfortunately uh, the house gods of uh, of the northwest midlands had other ideas in mind but we're back we're not at 100% in our new place, we are still designing and perfecting our podcast room. Yes. Which is going to be an exciting uh, place where all of our podcasting will be taking place from the future. Until then, Joe and I are sitting on a couch downstairs in our front room. 
old school how-to wrestling. It's very reminiscent of back when we first started the podcast and we used to have to sit on my... You remember my really shit couch? I was going to say I was never this comfortable when we first never. started how-to. I remember you used to sit on the floor because it was more comfortable than my sit couch. The floor like arched over like some sort of terrible bird. Mm. Some guy just tweeted us recently saying, oh guys, we've just been through the first year of episodes of how-to wrestling. Really enjoying it. I'm like, wow, well, I, I was in pain for most of those. Mm. So I hope you enjoyed it. There's a lot of blood, sweat and lower back pain went into those episodes friends yeah the first year of how to wrestling is basically responsible for some very bad posture that's why ddp came yeah. in the second year it's a really good thing <laughs> yeah season two was ddp so yeah we want to thank everyone for all the well wishes we want to thank all of our backers and patrons for all the support and love that has been sent our way in the the past few uh crazy trying uh, months but we're back now and 2018 we have uh, decided we're going to make 2018 or personal jobber. Oh, wait, no, that sounds like a weird thing. Should probably not say that. Hey, Joe, have you seen the new amazing videos that we've been churning out? I have. Aren't we lucky to have such talented friends? Notice the use of the word we there uh, by being someone else, not me. <laughs> Adam from the ITR podcast has been making loads of lovely videos for How To Wrestling and uh, really, really got a lot of new, uh, new eyes on How To Wrestling. A lot of people, Joe, are in love with your impressions of... Ra- well, they're not really impressions, are they? Your um, interpretations? Yeah, the worst impression, the laziest impressions ever, <laughs> if that were the case. Sounds like a different version of your voice, basically, isn't it's just, it? It's just is my one of my voices. Okay, just so you know, right, folks, if you're keeping score home, of all the promos that Joe has done so far and has uh, reinterpreted them in her own unique way, she did the Shopmaster... Shared by Fred Ottoman, uh, aka the real Shockmaster, to his shoot Facebook page. Does he have kids? Yes. I hope his kids saw it. Wow, dad's so cool. Wow, dad's a sexy English lady now. Awesome. About time, you know. I mean, I'm just saying, he wasn't there like, oh, I'll draw up some bookings with this. He's like, I want this to be shared with my close personal friends and associates. So that's good. Scott Hall, he uh, he was taken aback, wasn't he, Joe? Yep. Uh, He said that British chicks are sexy. Yeah. Sound sexy. So sorry, sorry, sound. <laughs> yeah, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves there. That's 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 good though. I mean, that's you know, good. Paige, Joe Graham, both people who uh, Scott Hall has has determined to be amazing English sexy ladies. So you know, Paige. Yeah, he's had a thing for Paige in the past, apparently. Really? Yeah. So maybe that could be it. Like that could I mean, be the my connection. It's quite far away from Paige's, really, isn't it? Right, can you say this is my house? This is my house. Yeah, you're much better than Paige. That's a much better oh, accent. Oh, so. you're nice. Just better saying. than Paige. I was just going for different. I was going to say, Paige could probably like do an ad for car insurance. I want cheaper car insurance. This is my house. And I want cheaper home insurance <laughs> for this house. But the only person who's not shared or loved your, your uh, interpretations yet, Scott Steiner. Barely a peep out of him. No. I wonder what that is all about, like... Do you hurt his feelings? I wonder if he feels personally insulted. He's like, who does she think she is trying to do a better job than me, Scott Steiner? (laughs) (laughs) All of them, that is the one I'm most proud of because a couple of people have said that I actually make it sound coherent. That's the first time that promo has been shared on Master. It was like, dude, it makes total sense. Of course. Suddenly, (laughs) he sounds very eloquent. And yeah, the maths, the numbers don't lie. (laughs) <laughs> and they spelled disaster for you at sacrifice Samoa Joe I was just worried that like because you haven't heard from Scott recently you know, he's been kind of quiet I was just worried that you'd, you'd kind of broken him a little bit like he's yeah. in the mirror like you're not a big bad boo daddy you're like you're not freakzilla 
second largest arms in the world at best like whatever it's cool and also as well in the meantime with all this uh, excitement going on joe has a new gimmick which is uh, i'm going to give you this new gimmick now you can take it if you want you okay. know a silly gimmick so we all know it's the way to get over in the, the mid 90s mm. uh the plasterer of paris <laughs> why of paris it's not plaster of paris because plasterer is a skill and a trade which has been very useful in our current predicament joe knows how to plaster by the way folks i'm just I saying do. this is a new skill of mine i'm very proud of it promos plastering you know reach out folks I think a plaster is too respected as a skill in a trade, so if it's the mid-90s, we have to go for the cheap heat. So you're not just a plaster, you've come... I'm a come, French plaster. Yeah, you think you're better than us. Yeah, so I'm like snooty, French, and a skilled labourer. Yeah, does does the job to the standards required, but does it in a way that we just don't like. like. <laughs> <laughs> so bookings are available now, plasterofparis of at aol.com. Send your emails there, folks, and uh, Joe will get through to you. Today's episode, one which has been much researched and much looked forward to. This is one which we like started looking at, you know, quite a while ago, and now we finally get to talk about it. We've been bubbling at the pot trying to talk about this one. We're talking about the most maligned of things in wrestling, it seems. We're today talking about commentary. It is how-to commentary. We're talking today about the voices you hear when you turn in to watch wrestling, the People who are filling in the blanks as the action happens on screen. All the voices you're tuning out incessantly for me. <laughs> just cannot bear them. Jim Ross, who's considered to be the greatest wrestling announcer of all time by many, myself and Adam met him, and he said the most beautiful poetic thing. He's probably said it to thousands of people, so it's not special. But anyway, he said to us that the wrestlers provide the music and the announcers provide the lyrics. Oh, I thought he was going to say rhythm. Oh, that would be a bit... Well, <laughs> well, we meet him again, we go, ah, would you not say this instead? <laughs> no, I mean, lyrics makes more sense. Yeah, because it's kind of the, the ambiance, the atmosphere should all be created by the wrestling. It gives meaning. But the, I don't know, like the direct connection with your brain? Yeah. That should be the... It makes it understandable and digestible. Although music is any... I don't know, this is a complex one. It is, it's a complex analogy. And commentary is a complex thing because when we mentioned this, I mentioned the live show where there's going to be like, oh, we're going to do commentary next. There was kind of a good fucking destroy it. Yeah, I fucking hate it. You know, there's that kind of a vibe in the room. And I've... I don't say I've always been an apologist for commentary. I understand why commentary is the way it is in wrestling. I can understand why that gets on people's nerves. Most of my podcasting career I've made out of making fun of commentators in various points in history. Yeah, and you've gotten in trouble a few times because of it. <laughs> As I speak, I'm really worried Taz is about to send the attitude of the podcast. I don't want to get how-to wrestling involved. <laughs> Taz with the same orange brush. But anyway. Associate with you no good attitude era <laughs> podcast boys with all your drama. Every single time you and I watch wrestling... I find myself going like, oh, why did you say that? And you're like, huh? No. <laughs> so Why would I listen? They're rubbish. What is your problem with commentary? I've been watching wrestling for around three years now and commentators have yet to make a kind of indelible impact on you mm. and you seem to not actively not listen to them. Yeah. What's the deal with commentators and your experience as a new fan? It's a long list. Okay, we got time. It's we got okay. time? All right. So... My number one pain with commentary, this is above all else, okay? Even above Jerry Lawler <laughs> as, as, a, as a human that exists, which is at least point three on my list. Um, but the number one point about commentary that puts me off it is the fact that I can't tell what they're saying 
half the time. Either the sound is mixed and balanced, mm. so you can't hear them over the crowd, or you can't hear them over various other things that are going on, like music or what mm. have you, or simply you can't hear them from other commentators. And this is especially a big problem now at big pay-per-views we've got like five or six different commentators <laughs> yeah let's be honest all of which are men very hard to tell them apart and also in some older matches where again the sound hasn't been mixed as well mm. so yeah i find it just generally really hard to hear what they're saying so you find to, like, to actually pick out the verbiage even what is it yes. uh, is it that they're talking too quick or too much or you zone them out or so it's a, it's a well Nowadays, it's the Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> so you did give them a go at the start. I, and I still do give them a go occasionally. It depends who's on commentary. Mm. But no, it's, it's mainly the fact that I've, I... Number one, I think, is it's not mixed properly. It's yeah. not... I, don't, I know I'm a little bit hard of hearing, and I always find it hard to hear voices over other sounds. Like, yeah. even in, like, in conversation with you and I in mm. a restaurant, I'd always find it quite hard to hear people over the ambiance. And you usually have to ask me to, like, when there's crowds chanting stuff, you usually have to ask me yes. what is they're saying because it's not as clear as one would think. Yeah. So, do you, oftentimes I do notice that the announcers, when they're not doing the big, like, oh, they just hit the thing, or they just done the move, or oh, here comes the guy... Mm. They'll start talking a little bit like this and kind of, you know, they, they, they do a low talk. Yeah. They do kind of dip it down a bit at times. And the low talk is a problem, definitely makes it hard to hear. But even the high points, sometimes they will just all scream at once or even one guy screaming doesn't then enunciate his words properly. I find that quite a lot of the time commentators don't speak clearly enough, like they don't maybe enunciate properly they maybe sometimes, you know, speak a little too fast. Speak over each other. Speak over each other. I just wonder how much of them actually care if they if people can understand what they're saying. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's really interesting because like we'll get into it. We've got some interesting stuff to look at here in terms of the job of being mm. a commentator in, in WWE. And obviously in WWE you're you're at a much higher level, I guess, in terms of they're doing live TV, three hour shows, pay-per-views every month. So a lot of these things will be talking about today. They will go for other companies as well. But in terms of commentary, I don't think there's ever been a more produced, more stressed, more is expected of them and held to a higher standard. And yet. And yet. Yeah. It's the one it's that people struggling. always seem to pick out on, have problems with. But I think it's a problem that they bring in a lot... They bring in oftentimes a lot of wrestlers with maybe less public speaking experience oh to take over the roles yeah, and whatnot because like yeah. they're obviously certain commentators are much better at enunciating and speaking clearly than others so like Michael Cole these days he's quite good at that mm. but then hope you'd hope he would be at this point in his career I mean that's his job he is yeah. like fucking programmed yeah. to be that voice I mean I was going to actually ask you if we could go through some of the current yeah. roster of commentators and give your because I mean a lot of most of these guys you've, you've heard and just interested to see your thoughts on so Michael Cole to start would you give him a thought thumbs up how would you rate them i'd give them yeah general i mean i've got okay right get things straight i'm mm. only talking about current michael cole so now, from 2015 onwards yeah, i am aware that he did commentary before i started watching yes but i am not <laughs> at all familiar with that from what i've heard he was very crap yeah <laughs> but yeah i don't know about that so anyway michael cole yeah generally he gets a thumbs up he's a bit boring some of the shit he says is a bit cliche but i'm pretty sure that's not his fault I think everyone falls victim to that because he's yeah. the main voice. He ends up saying it a lot more, doesn't he? And I think they're given a lot of cues as well in terms of like little phrases they have to say and it gets a bit, it gets a bit cliche and cheesy sometimes. He has probably 
the hardest job in the history of wrestling announcing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think. be surprised at all. I would, yeah, from what I've heard, it's horribly stressful. Because we've we obviously we've watched matches in the past for previous episodes. We've listened to other announcers like Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone or Gordon Soley and Lance Russell. And those are all like classic play-by-play guys who are all considered to be very good at their job. But they've only ever had to do one thing, which is to tell you what's happening in the ring, call the moves, let the fans know the story, what's happening, basically. But Michael Cole has to do that. He has to tell you about the live events, Mm -hmm. network, who's coming up uh, in the next segment, previous segment, who's backstage, what you've missed on uh, Twitter. Hashtags. Hashtags, all the plugs, all the sponsors. He has to get in when they're doing their various charities that they're doing for that. He is a fucking list a mile long and it's funny I listened to an interview with JR who's considered to be one of the greatest announcers of all time we'll probably do a whole episode on JR at one point in the future but he said that he couldn't do what Michael Cole does now and I read this quote from Michael Cole and it's almost depressing okay this is Michael Cole on currently and he's fine with this by the way but currently 2017 this is what Michael Cole has to do in his ear, this is who he has. I have my executive producer. I hear my audio technician. I have whoever is producing us backstage, and whether that is Vince McMahon or Triple H, whoever that may be at the time. I also have the two co-commentators I have to listen to that I'm working with, so we have a conversation with on the air. So at any given time, I have my voice, the two guys I'm working with at ringside having a conversation with, the audio technician, the executive producer, and whoever is producing that segment on that night. So at times, I have six voices in my head at once, while we were on air on live television. I did a radio thing at my university and we had to do a live radio show and we had to have, I had to have one person in my ear <laughs> telling me what I was supposed to be saying at the time. Oh found, my God. It was only 15 minutes long, okay? And it was the most stressful 15 minutes of my life. My heart was constantly, heart palpitations. I was sweating because it was, it's so stressful. To focus on two of those things. Yeah, you have to remember what you're talking about, have a list of prompts of things that are coming up and have someone telling you in your head what you've done wrong or what you should be doing differently or what's coming up. Like, oh my God, it was so hard and that was just one person. Recently, me and Sam and Cinema Swirl, a movie podcast, I do. We've been doing some distance recording. We were playing around with some different programs so we could record over Skype. <laughs> I had my headphones on, and the program we had, it was working great, but it played my voice back in oh, my that's ear. Horrible. And I, I was like, literally, like, I can't, mm. I can't do that. Yet alone six strangers, my own voice. I know what I'm saying. And <laughs> don't forget, one of those strangers is Vince McMahon. Oh dear. Which is like the worst voice to have in your head. That's really, really like. A harsh thing because Mick Foley, who is one of my all-time favourite wrestlers, he very briefly was a commentator for WWE. He was a colour commentator and he couldn't do the job Mm. and it was because of Vince McMahon. And there's all these stories, like, I remember hearing, like, there was, he'd come back, it was like 2008 and he did it. And there was all these people who thought, like, oh, Jesus, Mick Foley, he's such an angry dude. Because the only times they'd seen him was coming from backstage and screaming at Vince McMahon going don't fucking talk to me like that never again like I've wrestled like fucking 20 years I've been in the business for 30 years or whatever and you're like talking to me like I'm a nobody and it's really disrespectful because Vince when he's in your ear if you say something wrong he's not going to be come on guys we can do that better it's like what the fuck god damn it I told you you know he swears he belittles and we've heard this from other people as well like JBL even Mauro Ronaldo saying look that's that's the job He's in your ear, he's angry, and if you do things wrong, he will swear and he'll come at you. 
And so scary. So yeah, th- those aren't six happy voices in your ear. So I think Michael Cole in that end maybe gets a he gets a bit of respect. I mean, on the one hand, I can relate to his situation because having six guys in your ear during a wrestling match is pretty much what it was like at Survivor Series this year, the pay per view, with <laughs> all six commentators speaking at once. And that we're sitting at home, where all we had to do was actually watch the show. We didn't actually have to call. We were saying, "Oh, this is really stressful." We're watching it like we have to do anything live on TV. Okay, another name I'll bring up. Uh, much maligned on the internet. Current domain name is owned by Sam Chapman for the website. Uh, Byron Saxton. Byron Saxton. He's... He was very rubbish when I first started watching. And I think he's become adequate now. He's not He's not the worst by any means. He's a bit boring. He has nothing really to say. I think he's going to make quite a good play-by-play commentator one day when Michael Cole retires. Oh, man, I wonder. (laughs) from what I've heard, see, they seem to have quite similar paths. Yes. Like... He's like, a he's a young nerdy boy basically. Yeah, That's what he was. It was a bit crap, and people kind of rag on him for being yeah. a bit crap. That is pretty much identical to what Michael Cole was like. And I think they have this idea in their head that it's like you know the diamond that's formed from years and years and years and millennia of pressure and fucking heat and oh. I mean, the fact that he has gotten better in the time I've been watching gives me hope. I think he knows what his voice is now. Yes. He knows that, like, because before I think he was trying too hard to be, like, a, a guy. He was mm-hmm. trying to be, like, like just be Michael Cole or whatever. Whereas now I think he owns a little bit that he is a bit dorky and yeah. he's Byron. And it's like, shut up, Byron, you live at your mom's house. Like, oh, what's wrong with that? Like, my mom's cool. <laughs> Her spaghetti's the best. <laughs> I love that side of Byron Saxon. Like, as a person, I think he sounds like a fun, a fun guy. Okay. <laughs> How about... Nigel McGuinness, the voice of 205 Live. Jesus, I'm going to make people hate me. I don't like Nigel McGuinness. Why don't you like Nigel? I'm Nigel McGuinness here and I'm calling the match and it's very interesting, my voice. It will make you very excited for the the upcoming... Oh my God, and he's done a move. (laughs) Oh, he's done a wrestling move. So far, your main issue is that he's English. Yeah. And that, like, of the two of us, I didn't think you'd have the issue with that. Like. And it's not his accent that bothers me because okay. I am I love all regional accents. Mm. It's just the it's the fact that his voice is nasal, mm. and the fact that he doesn't have any any melody to his voice. It's like I've hit his finishing maneuver there, or welcome to the show tonight. Everything yeah. is the same kind of output almost, and that's a very sort of sports commentary style I know people love that yeah and I get that it's it's not for me Mm. that's fine I I understand that he is on paper like a lot of people say he's one of the best commentators ever you know I disagree but that's fine I don't come from that sports background of listening to lots of commentary like that I prefer someone who sounds more excited or more you know emotional I like that he is the only announcer who has brought to light the scourge that is joint manipulation you know I think finally someone has to call that shit out for why it is it's wrong man you know <laughs> someone has to be on there in commentary he has since left commentary I'd like to know your thoughts JBL oh fuck off JBL I hate him he's unclear he's rude he's a bully um, <laughs> I mean right, can we separate JBL the no, alleged bullying no, and hazing and all that no, from no because it's not alleged <laughs> okay, I mean you alleged. can allege something and it can still happen you know okay. that's impossible for it to be both <laughs> for legal reasons it's alleged <laughs> I'm not allowed to say Aww. well no I mean you can't just say I don't like JBL as an answer because it is commentary mm. he's a bully on commentary but he'll always or would have always said I know he's I'm, a heel I'm the heel you know I'm there to yeah. 
be there for the heels, say heel things. But what about Corey Graves, who has never had to do that? That's and true. is a heel commentator, in my opinion, one of the best. I think he is the best heel commentator. They Like, they've had as good heel commentators, but they hadn't been that good for 10 years, yeah. you know? So yeah, back to JBL. Yeah, he's unclear, which is really, really annoying. I can't understand what he's saying. And that's not because of his accent, considering that Jim Ross also has a southern accent, mm-hmm. and I can understand him fine, even though he also has a heavy lisp and a speech impediment. It's funny, because Jim Ross uh, always said that Vince McMahon didn't like him on commentary, because Vince doesn't like southern voices. On I love it, southern voices. Makes it sound awesome. regional and stuff. I love, like I said, all regional accents mm. are great. That's not just England, that's anywhere. Love them. I think it really adds diversity, and that's really important when you're just hearing a bunch of voices and you've got to tell them apart. That's something I've always wanted to know, because for me, it's something that for years I was like, I want to hear more of this. And when the network came along, I was like, I absolutely want to hear more of this, which is guys to drop in little facts about history and stuff mm. like that. You know, the, this belt, the Intercontinental belt, but a very famous match here in this very arena 10 years ago or whatever. Or, you know, it's fun that these two guys are facing off because as we all know, six years ago, they were tag team champions. Little bits of trivia. Yeah. JBL did that a lot. But he doesn't do it well. And that takes me to like my final point as to why I hate JBL, which is that he talks irrelevant shit. Like he thinks he's being all educational and giving you little tasty nuggets of history, but he's not. More often than not, he's just talking about some other match over the top of this other match. So he'll be like, oh, remember this other match 10 years ago? And then you'll just talk about that for like 15 minutes. And it's like, well, actually, there's this other match going on. Like, it's one thing to drop a little reference mm. to add some context. And it's another thing to just go off on some old nostalgia trip and then shout, mall game! <laughs> <laughs> you will be missed, John Bradshaw no, Layfield. And no. uh, we mentioned there already Corey Graves. Love Corey Graves. Probably my favourite commentator. Mm. He speaks really clearly. He's really good at adding some good heat, I think, to the wrestlers. He manages to be a heel and cheer for the heels, but not be just a bully like JBL does. Yeah, he's does. not a bully, and also he's not predictable because he doesn't always side with the heels. Mm. He will choose who he thinks to side with, and he'll base it like like a good heel who mm. understands that to be a good heel, you've got to be relatable and you've got to have like an actual believable reason as to why you're doing these horrible yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. He comes up with these logical reasons as to why he's supporting the people he supports. Yeah, I love that there's this kind of vague sense of like old hipster to Corey Graves mm. like hipster in his late 30s early 40s yeah. you know and he hates a, like the drifter for instance as a result I think a lot of times the really clever thing about Corey Graves is he manages to angle the way he's being rude about the wrestler to make himself the butt of the joke yeah almost like his bad taste is an element of what he likes about them. I'm not explaining that very well. No, you're right, because I think it's really important for for heels have to be able to make... Like, the worst thing is when a heel just takes himself so seriously Mm. and is a completely impenetrable, like, they're the cool guy, they're the cool dude. I was always worried about that with Corey Graves, that he... Because he's a... He looks like He he looks so fucking, like, he is that cool dude, you know, with his fucking tattoos and his slick back hair and his... Paul Merton with his fucking cravats, like... (laughs) You know, for the new season of Have I Got News For You. But Corey Graves, like, he does a good job of still finding a way to not necessarily make himself the butt of the jokes, but he makes himself a bit silly at times. Yeah, he makes himself look like a bit of a a dork or an idiot for siding with the people who you wouldn't expect him to side with. And it's really clever as well, because he does it, he'll change it depending on 
who they're against. So he's yeah. not necessarily always consistently supporting one person. Mm. His motives change. I just really like that. It's like, it really shows that he's given it some thought and it really helps add to you watching it as a viewer. Because yeah. you're like, oh, okay, that's a really stupid reason he's supporting them and that's funny. Or, oh, yeah, same. I actually really relate to that character as well for that same good reason. Booker T. Concerned look. Well, I started off with such a bias because literally the first time I ever, ever, ever saw Booker T on commentary or ever saw him do anything ever was the I forget which pay per view it was, SummerSlam or something. Oh, he was doing you because he before he was doing commentary, he was doing the pre-show panels. That was it. Yeah. Yes, and I can't remember what it was, but it was the first pay per view I watched with you and Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he famously said, and I know people are going to hate that I'm referencing this because we've got told off by our listeners before, but he said, "All women hate each other, brother," and I just I can't forgive him for that. Loads of like that's such a. Like Jerry Lawler used to say that all oh, as well. Like you did. know, I love when even Renee Young. Did you see the the clip where like J- Jerry Lawler was yes. like, last year was like, oh well, you know, all women. He tried to dress up as like there's a saying that goes around between some people, and the way it is is that we kind of feel that all women hate each other. And she's like, just fucking stop, old yeah. man. You know, yeah. stop it right now. So I mean, Booker, he kind of plays a bit more of a heel character these days, I guess. But it, to me, it's not clear that he is a heel character though. He's a character. I know is that. Is he one. though? He's, is he a character? Oh, he's a fucking character. He just fucking shouts out whatever the fuck he wants. Like. But does that is that what makes someone a character? Because to me, Corey Graves is very clearly a character. Like I know he puts on that heel commentator hat, mm. and it's not who he really is. Like I feel he's more of a character in the show. And yeah. I, like if Corey Graves, the character, appeared backstage and someone came up and said, "Hey, I want you to do this," or "Here, here's this news." I think I could interpret how he'd react, whereas Booker T, I don't think I could. Like. No, and I think that's the trouble with a lot of heel commentators is that they get this idea, some wrestling fans also do this, uh, which is, oh, I'm an arsehole, therefore I'm a heel character. <laughs> you don't get to just way. decide that your personality makes you a character. Mm. I'm sorry, that's not how that works. And Corey Graves does it really well in that you can, like I said, you can tell it's not really him. It's mm. not his real beliefs. He's putting it on. But someone like JBL and someone like Booker T, it's not like they've historically come out with all this like really good, wholesome, I'm actually quite a nice person yeah. to distance themselves from the character that they're playing. Mm. So if it's not, if they're not doing that, how do you know it's a character? How do you know they're not just being an asshole? I think they'll take the approach that like, you know, I know Booker T definitely does this because he has a radio show where he does shit like this all the time. And I think he's like, I'm being like a, provocateur kind of I'm going to make the fans go what the fuck and tweet and say things and stuff different from being a heel and that's I Mm. think there's a lot of this in wrestling which is like oh I'm being an asshole or or I'm being edgy I'm getting a reaction I'm devil's advocate which means yeah exactly I get a reaction which means I'm a heel which means I'm a character which means it's not really me doing it it's just (laughs) something I do which happens to then have some sort of consequence oh that's just fucking bullshit Mm, I I don't like it I think it's lazy I think it's people acting like a dick and just hoping they can get away with it. Mauro Ronaldo. Fucking love him. He's my fave. He, yeah, he's probably one of my faves. Uh, just a total gift. I, I, I think he. Okay, he talks very clearly. He's very, very good at giving play-by-play of what's going on. He'll call moves correctly, which is always a good thing to Almost do. Almost to a fault, like. Yeah. You know, he'll be like, oh my God, the Omar in that. You don't need to, mate, right? We've not watched that. It's, just, it's all right. Just call it a fucking arm sore, whatever. It's cool. <laughs> Best of all, he has just a beautiful voice. Yeah, I think that's fucking a 
gift that voice mm. with that voice you can't be doing anything other than covering combat sports and wrestling and just stuff where people are going and hitting each other and doing things <laughs> and I find it funny that I hate Nigel Guinness on commentary but love Mario Ronaldo when they both come from quite similar backgrounds and their styles you could argue are again quite similar they do work quite well together on on NXT although the problem with NXT oftentimes when they do it Nigel records it separately to him they record the distance yeah Mauro's got like a home studio and I find oh, that wow. that's a bit weird but on the live shows that they've done together they've had really great rapport I think a lot of people rag on Mauro and I guess it's a question of taste about some of his pop culture references Oh. You know, because he'll be like, kind of, someone puts someone upside down in the corner and be like, oh, you must be watching season two of Stranger Things because he just went upside down. And people like, come on now, Mar, you're trying a bit, a bit too hard there, like, you know. I mean, I can't, I can't technically fault him for that because it doesn't bother me, but that probably will backfire when it comes back to like rewatching classic wrestling matches and it suddenly has this very aged reference. Mm. High fidelity kicks there by AJ Styles. You gotta think he's checking out season two of The Crown with the infidelity of Prince Philip. Alleged that is. <laughs> you know, they cut, he, he, he just pulls him out, isn't he? Like seamless, easy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the more classic announcers, ones that we've had uh, some experience with. We'll, we're going to look at a match from an interesting point of view later on, but JR, Jim Ross, considered to be the best. Yeah, I You've, love him. You love him? I love him. He's got, again, a beautiful voice, which mm. I find really important. Like having a listenable voice is great, I think. He really understands, probably the best out of anyone I can think, how to add context to a match without it detracting from the match itself. Like a little side where he's like, he's telling you what's happening. It's like, and you got to think this, folks. Just a little mm. little thing there where you kind of go, huh, as opposed to, and of course, he's got to be doing this because this happened. And also, don't forget, next Sunday, this you know he, he limits his sides mm. and he just drops in those points of information and it kind of, he paints the picture well. He gives you really the well. information slowly. And as well, he will call moves in a clear way and not just like, like you were saying with Mario Ronaldo, he sometimes calls the, the rather technical names, which doesn't really help all, all wrestling mm. fans understand what's going on. He's a bit more straightforward with calling the moves and what's going on in the match. Like if someone jumps out of the ring, he'll generally say as much. So like, you know, if you're just listening, you can off, often get a better idea of what's going on with someone like JR mm. than other commentators. With JR, a really interesting thing that he's done, he said this is what his kind of, his approach to it. Even when he was, he used to be like a, involved in the office side of WB and you know was in charge of a lot of stuff he never wanted to know what was happening in the matches really so he would say like don't tell me as little as possible what's going to happen so then he can organically react to like oh my you know the big twists and turns and that's how he'd be able to because I was going to say that's another thing I really really like about JR because he is technically a play-by-play commentator yes right? he is yeah and yet he again shows such emotional investment in the matches it's not like Michael Cole who kind of will go like oh wow occasionally mm. he'll go oh my god and he'll come out with these amazing quote worthy phrases and I think possibly best of all is the fact that he really plays off other commentators which mm. is a really valuable skill if you're working with like a heel commentator you need to, you, you need to know basically what role you're playing mm. like either you're going to be standing up for the people they hate or you're going to be trying to knock down the people they're supporting yeah. like what's your role there and how mm. are you going to play off that person next thing we're going to ask and let's see if we can pull away the uh <laughs> No. <laughs> Fuck it. Jerry Lawler. What do you reckon to him then? I hate him. I hate him so much. Have you ever heard enjoyed his commentary? Com- you have heard him do commentary. <laughs> I was going to say, I had him do commentary without referencing some breasts. <laughs> 
But have you ever heard commentary of his that you've you've liked? Because I maintain that it's very hard because it's just like it was expected of him at the time and he was more than fucking happy to oblige just all that fucking shit he came out with. But if you can somehow strip away all of that, did you ever enjoy any of his commentary? First of all, I'm not going to strip away any of what he says because I believe that is a very core part of who he is. I don't think Mm. it was just expected of him. When you learn a bit about who Jerry Lawler is as a human being, Mm. you learn that that's pretty much a huge part of his identity (laughs) is his hatred of women. So, no, I'm not going to distance my, my two opinions in that respect. But I can appreciate he has skill in a certain way. He understands how to add emotion to a match. He understands how to bring heat to certain guys. Yeah. He understands how to work a a, a crowd in that respect. He was always very good at playing like a foil, I found. I think if it hadn't been for Jim Ross, I don't know if people would be sitting around talking about what a great commentator Jerry Lawler always was. I think it's because Jim Ross knows how to, like I said, play off who he's with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think... I always think it's interesting to watch JR and King working together because people always love those two together. And then later years when King was on his own or, you know, with Michael Cole and other kind of combinations, he people accused him of being lazy and phoning it in and didn't really give a shit that much. And what was really interesting about all that was that all during that time where people accused him of being lazy and all that was because he was actually being the good guy commentator then. But then just before they actually fired him, it was when it was him and Mauro Ronaldo on SmackDown. And he was only there for a couple of weeks or even a month or two. And he started doing heel again to Mauro Ronaldo being the good guy. And he fucking all of a sudden, because it was PG now, he wasn't doing all the stuff about, you know, puppies and all the gross shit. It was like, it's fucking good. Like, he was being a nasty heel commentator. Yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, there were a few matches mm. of those which were good. But I don't think that's enough to keep him employed. It's slip. Well, yeah. Well, it's, he's not employed anymore. No, so. I'm very glad for that. Fact. So there you go. But yeah, no. Jerry Lawler is a gross misogynist who shouldn't be allowed to speak. <laughs> okay, here's what I'm gonna ask you. Because see if you can guess, um, fans at home, who Joe Graham's favorite commentator is. Because I was chatting with Adam the other day, and uh, he was guessing for a good 15 minutes and still hadn't <laughs> arrived at the conclusion. Joe, who is your favourite commentator that we've experienced so far in How To Wrestling? Oh, you've set me up for a fall here. It's your opinion, it's fine. It's your shit opinion. (laughs) It's not my problem if it's wrong or not, it's yours, yeah. It's Vince McMahon. I love Vince McMahon on commentary. The few kind of bits we've seen Vince McMahon would have been kind of mid to late 90s. He did a bit in the 80s as well with Jesse the Body Ventura. But what is it about Vince McMahon on commentary that you like? He speaks very clearly. He has a very distinct voice. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm, a distinct said. voice that is not his. No, it's not his. Like anytime anyone does a Vince McMahon impression, it do- is not the Vince McMahon on commentary. Version. That's a very that's a, in a different box under the stairs. That impression. But that to me shows that he understands what he's doing and he knows it's necessary. Because imagine commentary with actual Vince McMahon's voice; it would be unbearable. Goddamn, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was great because there was a few times because he did commentary until he kind of became an on-screen character as you know Mr. McMahon or whatever but there were the one or two times where he did like pop back on commentary just for whatever reason like oh Vince McMahon is joining because he's got an interest in this match and he'd pop on the headsets all evil Vince McMahon and he'd be like oh my goodness what a maneuver one two and no he did not get him there like big back body drop there he would call like two fucking moves I'm not saying he's the best 
I'm not saying that. He's your okay? favourite, though. But he's my he's my favourite. <laughs> and again, he, he's really good at like doing the big moments, I find. Mm. And, like, bringing some momentum to them. I love his weird voice. Said that already. And he's clearly in love with, like, most of the matches when he was commentating is when Shawn Michaels was the top guy. And he was clearly enamoured with him. It would always <laughs> be like, yeah! Whoa! That sexy boy! Talk about a heartbreak kid, huh? Mine's in smithereens! Whoa! <laughs> what a crotch! I just love how old-fashioned it is as well. And it's yeah. quite, I, I like that about Mauro Minato's voice too. It's, it's, it's quite old-fashioned. It does. It reminds you kind of like if you went back in time to the 60s and someone's watching boxing on TV. Mm. Like, oh my goodness! You know, all shocked and surprised at what's going on around them. So let's get into a little bit about the role of commentators. It's a thing that's changed over the years, but you've got two main strands of commentators. We've got our play-by-play guys who are there to tell you the moves, describe the action, tell the story of the match. In its most basic sense, that's what they're meant to do. And even today, when they have all these other things that's meant to be happening as well, they're still meant to be telling you that. Mm. The colour is there. The colour commentator is meant to be there to kind of provide analysis. Oftentimes, you'll find that the colour commentator is a former wrestler. That's why Jerry Lawler was uh, a famous colour commentator, because he was a wrestler for many years. Uh, Jesse the Body Ventura would have been the first kind of heel colour commentator ever. Again, he was a former wrestler. And he was, you know, you had wrestlers who had former grudges with people. So they'd be talking about, oh, this, you know, let me tell you, I've been in the ring with that guy. And I, that move hurts. And they were meant to kind of provide information that the play-by-play guys maybe couldn't give you. Because the play-by-play guys hadn't been given a headlock or a leg drop or a body slam or whatever. They have at other times been given other roles along the way as well. We've mentioned a few times in the past World Championship Wrestling, WCW, the rival organization to WWE, then WWF, for many, many years. They would give their announcers uh, other jobs along the line to uh, try and take down the competition, let's just say. The executive producer of WCW at the time, Eric Bischoff, ran late 90s when they were head-to-head on TV. He would take advantage of the fact that his show was always live, and oftentimes Vince and WWF would tape their shows. So he would have his announcers at the top of the hour go, hear the results for WWF. What? So don't turn over, guys. What? Yeah, literally, you know, Hogan and Ric Flair will be coming and go, and just so you know, folks, over there the other show... The Rock has taken on Ken Shamrock in the main event that ends in a DQ. Kane, the Undertaker, tagging against, you know, the Dudley boys. You know, they, they would just run through all the, the matches and give the results. In a, in like, and not like, a, oh, you got to check. They would just say, yeah, Vader got disqualified against Goldust. Would Mark. fans not hate that? WCW fans liked it because it was like, yeah, fuck the competition. But I think the idea was that if you're going to switch between the two and they can go, look... This main event that they're hyping up, Austin and, you know, whoever, it's just going to be a DQ, so you might as well tune into our show, because our show's live. You don't know what's going to happen, even though theirs will probably end in something worse than a DQ. So, yeah, oftentimes the announcers have been used to um, try and attack other companies and things like that. So there weren't fans watching both shows thinking, this is a bit fucking annoying. Well, I suppose it's before you had TiVo or before you had you know, the network or so YouTube or anything. there was no way to watch both. It was like 1998. Both shows were on live at the same... They would repeat them later in the week or have highlight shows. But if you wanted to watch Raw 
that was when it was on, you know, 8pm on Monday and Nitro was on at the same time as well. And they would even do things as well, like they would start the show like three minutes early because they had a better relationship with the network so they could go right at the top of the hour, just by, you know, the show's got all these things. <laughs> wow, that's so shitty. And one time as well, it was when Mick Foley was going to win his first ever world title. Sake. They literally had their announcer in WCW, Tony Schiavone, go, just so you know, folks, in the other show, the B show, Cactus Jack, he used to wrestle here, Mick Foley, he's going to win their world title. And he went, huh, that's going to put some butts in seats. And that actually worked the opposite, though, because as soon as he said that, like, of course, everyone half a million people changed. See the first time he got the, that's so <laughs> But it's really interesting as well, because... I'm watching a lot of SmackDown from like 1999-2000 at the moment when WWF were under a lot of attack from like parents' rights groups mm-hmm. and the announcers are there saying, write your congressman, tell them that WWF is your freedom of expression, they shouldn't censor us, write them now, start a letter writing campaign, all that stuff. So they've used the announcers for various means over the years. Blimey. Colour commentary is something we touched on a bit there, and I think it's a bit of a lost art in that a lot of the colour commentators now, they can oftentimes be a bit, you know, JBL was very inconsistent with mm. who he didn't like and whatnot. David Otunga, I think, was meant to be a colour commentator. What? I think he was, you know. He just talked about being on a movie set with the Usos' dad all the time. I don't know. <laughs> you won't be seeing him anytime soon. <laughs> I'm not just talking about his wife. I'm talking about him. He won't be on TV for a while. They've uh, separated. Aww. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, oh she, no? she's a legend that he's a piece of shit. So, you know. Oh, wow. Good. Fuck off then. <laughs> Good. Classic colour commentators, people who always talk about, they'll talk about Jerry Lawler, despite your oppositions, he's mm. uh, well-renowned. Yeah. Uh, Paul Heyman is always one who I've always adored. Oh, look, Paul Heyman, I forgot mm. about him. He's great, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because he only announced for like nine months in WWE, and he announced in WCW during kind of dark ages, but he was always really good. We talked a bit about it on our Heyman episode. Yeah, because he did it with Jim Ross, didn't he? Yeah. And he was really good. Like, I don't know how they can say Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross are better than him and Paul Heyman. Well, when I met JR, me and Adam, the first thing we said was like, just so you know, you and Paul Heyman, that's like the fucking best. He's like, yeah, everyone seems to say that to me. Like, the, <laughs> that was the best combo ever. And I think had they done it for longer than they did, or in more more of a prime time spot, because they did it at the tail end of the Attitude Era when business was going down. Yeah. As opposed to Jerry Lawler was there all through the 90s, all right up until 2001. And mm-hmm. he was the guy with JR for most of it. So... The originator of heel colour commentary was a guy called Jesse the Body Ventura. He used to dress up like a complete dickhead. But for many people, and the by far the most requested colour commentary people wanted you to find out more about, because you only saw him a little bit before, was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, I loved him. With his hammer. <laughs> so Bobby Heenan, you have only seen previously as a man with a hammer mm. and a plan. So uh, what did you know about the brain? Nothing. Nothing. Except he has a little hammer in his jacket. <laughs> he was very funny. He has been referred to as being like the greatest colour commentator of all time. He, like, he passed away recently. It was very, very sad. He had a lot of struggles with like cancer and problems with his vocal cords. He was very, very ill and frail in his last few years. But during his time, there was no one better on colour commentary than Bobby Heaton. He was started off as an amazing manager... And then basically he took so many bumps and jumped around the ring for people like Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior. It's like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. Let's just do commentary. And he was put with a guy called Gorilla Monsoon, who was a big old boy, one of Vince's kind of right-hand guys from back in the day. He would have been close with Vince's father. And the two of them made absolute magic together. Because Gorilla Monsoon 
was a nice. He was like a nice uncle. Mm. He, he, if Bobby Heenan said something horrible or untoward, he'd just go, "Will you stop?" <laughs> or "Please be serious. Come on now." You know, he would always be upset. Like there was a segment where him and Bobby Heenan went to the zoo, Aww. and Bobby Heenan's like scared, like, "Oh, look at this guy. He's gonna kill me. It's a giraffe." He's like, "Will you stop? Come on now." He's feeds the giraffe out of his hands. Like he's Aww. a lovely little guy. So. I wanted to find for Joe an example of awesome, kick-ass colour commentary done right, where the colour commentator is there to advance the story, get a guy over, make you laugh, make you think, make you smile, and make the match more entertaining. And overwhelmingly, people told us that the 1992 Royal Rumble was what we should watch. And watch it we did. This afternoon, we sat down and we watched... What many consider to be one of the greatest Royal Rumbles of all time. Now, this Royal Rumble, unlike other Royal Rumbles where the winner gets a chance to go to WrestleMania, the setup for this Royal Rumble is that the championship is vacant and the winner gets to become WWF champion. Now, I spent all this time when we were watching it going, Joe, it's not like the other Rumbles that you've seen, right? The winner of this one becomes the champion. And you were like, oh, what, like the one where Triple H became champion the other year? I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> like that one, yes. So Bobby Heenan is on commentary, and Bobby Heenan, the backstory of this is that in addition to being the colour commentator, he is also the <laughs> financial advisor and general manager of Nature Boy Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ric Flair's also got an executive assistant in Mr. Perfect. No, 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 Perfect. it's executive consultant. Sorry, executive consultant yeah. in Mr. Perfect. Now, they want Ric Flair to come into this match and win because he's just come into the company. He's claiming to be the real world's champion because he was the champion over in WCW and he jumped to WWF. He's like, I'm going to be the real world champion. So if he doesn't win this Rumble, we're all going to have egg on our faces, lads, and look like a bunch of dicks. So that's the setup for our Royal Rumble here. Before we start this, we got to have a little look at some of the entrants in our uh, Royal Rumble. Some snippets of... I mean, I always love this. We just randomly jump headfirst into a point in wrestling from the past where we haven't been much before. 1992, and you get immersed in all the colourful, weird shit. It's basically all the people that we covered in How To Silly Gimmick. (laughs) There are a lot of very silly people here. I mean, we got to see, obviously, classically silly people like Sid Justice and Macho Man Randy Savage. Sid Justice? Sorry, Sid Justice, a.k.a. Sid Vicious. Oh, for God's sake. A.k.a. Psycho Sid, a.k.a. Sid, a.k.a. Sid with a Y, a.k.a. Silly Sid, a.k.a. Sandwich Sid, a.k.a. Southside Sid, a.k.a. Streetcar Sid, a.k.a. Stone Cold Sid Austin. I may have made up a few of the last ones. <laughs> I genuinely could not tell you which ones you'd picked out. Man, they wanted to call me Baron Von Sidless. Don't get much more silk ass than that. <laughs> Sid Vicious looked like he would taste very salty. He and is, in yeah. In this match, he was very sweaty. He clammy. The baby blue made me think of Brian. He was wearing mm-hmm. baby blue. Like a kind of slightly hairier Brock Lesnar. It's good, though, because you wouldn't have to lick Sid to know then. You just know already that he is salty. Like, mm. you know, some of these guys, Repo Man, you wouldn't know if he's salty or not. You have to give him a good licking to find out. <laughs> Repo Man, in his little promo bit beforehand, which is all, like, tapping on his nose and gesturing, like, you ain't seen me, right? <laughs> We've been watching too much Fast Show. You ain't seen me. I just didn't think that we would see quite as many silly characters in this fucking... This Royal Rumble, we got to see the Berserker as well. It was yep. fantabulous. <laughs> and at one point, we had Dr. Jacoby there. Oh, yeah. That was um, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Okay. 
You've never seen that man before then, I'm assuming. Only in Twin Peaks. <laughs> with some golden shovels. I've not seen him in wrestling before. No, he's a very well-renowned manager, yeah. Wait, is he related to Natalia? No, he's not. Although he was in a group with Natalia's father and Natalia's uncle because he also had a last name of Hart called the Hart oh, Foundation. Oh, we've but, talked about him briefly before, I think. Yeah, different different Hart, same last name, yeah. but he has been involved in... But he is actually married into the family, isn't he? No, he's not, no. Isn't there another Hart who did marry into the family? Yes, that's the Knight Hearts who oh, married into the family. Okay. And also the, the British Bulldog also married into the Hart family as well. It's, but his last name isn't Hart. No. There was someone with the last name Hart who married into the Hart family. It's Knight, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Natty's uncle, Jim Knight Hart. Nightheart, okay. I know, so he already had Wait, a bit G- of... But he is called Jim Hart. No, Jim Nightheart. Yeah. Oh, what, the surname is Nightheart? Yes. Oh, not Hart. No. Oh, okay. I, it's, it's composed of it. It's within there, you yeah, know? Okay. It's modular. It's an Ikea surname, you know? <laughs> I did like Hulk Hogan in the Bill of this Royal Rumble saying that it's going to be his cup of tea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As if Colt Coon's ever drunk tea. It's been broadcast in Sky Sports, so I think he was going for the English fans there, you know? Who was the old posh gentleman? The old posh... Oh, you mean the English guy? Yeah, yeah. That was Lord Alfred Hayes. He had a quick word with Wick Fair before that. I'm just here in the dressing room of Ric Flair, standing by to get a word in with him. You make him sound like Louis Theroux. There's a joint manipulation there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm standing here with Ric Flair from North Carolina who believes that he is the world champion and that ghosts are occupying his home. (laughs) Really? Really? (laughs) But yeah, Lord Alfred Hayes. I like Lord Alfred Hayes. What do you reckon to him? Classic English gentleman, Lord Alfred Hayes. He's like a little cute English version of your dad. (laughs) It's like we say there, I'm standing here with Ric Flair. No, dad, not like that. Do it right. Do like a ring announcer. Come on, Dad. <laughs> so Bobby Heenan, the fact that he's getting two paychecks for tonight and the fact that he's been financial consultant and also a colour commentator is having a lot of problems in this match because he doesn't know when Ric Flair is going to come into the match. Mm. There's 30 people who come in. It's a random lotto. So he's been saying all throughout this that he hopes that it's probably going to be between 18 and 20. He said ideally 30. Ideally. <laughs> be best. At the start, I mean... It's a journey. It's an odyssey for Bobby Heenan, this match. He Mm. goes through the seven stages of grief. He goes through every human emotion, I think, that there is. It's it's quite impressive. Especially denial. A lot of (laughs) denial in there. A lot of denial. And whatever got the phrase, it's not fair to flair to come out. There's a lot of that as well. I kind of want that on a t-shirt. Like, not fair to flair with like the number three on the back. (laughs) I think that'd be really cool. And a really upset Bobby Heenan caricature in the front. At the start, he's kind of like me on the day of, like, it felt like he was me on the day of a job interview, because he's like, he's both nervous and doesn't want the thing to happen, mm. but also is like, come on, let's go, let's just, let's go, the guy's reading at the room, he's like, come on! <laughs> I had to turn on subtitles for this, because I did find it really hard to tell Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan apart. And also as well, I think you have, you have said in the past, kind of with some of the mixing on some of the older ones, mm. you do find it hard with the loud ring in the crowd. And I found even with subtitles, this was really hard to hear what they were saying. And honestly, the subtitles, they're so shit, they didn't help much. I was they, shocked by this. They got so many words wrong. Like at one point, they got the words quilt and kilt confused. So Roddy Piper, yeah, he's like talking about Roddy Piper wearing a kilt. Yeah. And it's the idea of Roddy Piper wearing a quilt. That's like the day after the rumble, after the cocaine. Yes, Roddy Piper would be wearing a quilt and going, Rah! but the day of the rumble, he'd be wearing a kilt with a K. At one point, they made a joke about someone being taken out in a body bag and the, the subtitles said money bag. Oh, and the other one I liked as well, which was... 
Where they kept calling instead of brain, it kept coming up as Frank. Yeah, inexplicably. Bobby the Frank Heenan. He didn't suffer fools gladly. He didn't miss his words. And and just from like a legibility perspective as well, they take up most of the screen. Mm. They're in all block capitals in a serif typeface, which means they have the little feet. And they keep putting in as well crowd chattering. Mm. Every line has got crowd chattering over it. They do miss a lot of things. I'll be honest... We, we will talk a bit about accessibility and stuff in, in a bit. Like, we are going to talk about it, but it was very fucking in-your-face here, the whole issue of subtitles. And I find it quite sad because when I first, first started podcasting a couple of years ago, one of the first people who gave us a shout-out and helped us out and gave us some advice with running Twitter and stuff was a group called Wrestling With Subtitles. And it was before the network had come out, and they were always on WB saying, look, you've got a lot of fans who are hard of hearing, who want to know what's going on, they want to know what the commentators are saying, can you not put subtitles on? And, like, WWE, most of their, like, 80% of their DVD releases had no subtitles. Mm. So unless it was a documentary, you didn't know what was happening. Yeah. And that's shit. Yeah, it's really shit. And they declared it as a victory when WWE said, we're going to have closed captions for everything on the network. Now, very, very often, I use the network a lot. I'm on the network two, three times a day watching stuff, and I always have captions on. Mm. And I notice very often they'll just give up and go indistinct. Oh, yeah. But this is considered to be like, this is the rumble that most people who aren't wrestling fans have watched this one. This is a hot seller on video and stuff. So a lot of people might watch this expecting, you know, such a big name fucking pay-per-view that yeah. they'd have the fucking captions done right. Done right and done in a legible typeface and it's it's neither. Like, if you have dyslexia and you're trying to read that, God forbid, like, you, you're going to really struggle. It's so hard to read. The closest thing it reminded me of, do you remember a few years ago, there was like, it happened at like Nelson Mandela's funeral and a few other high-profile cases where there were people doing sign language and there were like these scam artists who didn't know how to do it and they were just yeah. doing gobbledygook. It really felt like, because there were points where it was like every other word was fucking wrong. Yeah. And the person, like they definitely weren't watching it. Oh no. And also it was entirely out of sync with the match. So you'd get the subtitles, or the, the, you'd get the captions coming on about 10 seconds after the commentators had actually said the phrase that mm. was on the screen. So you're not like, there's no kind of taking into account what you're seeing on screen with the text and... What you're hearing and what you're reading at the same time. Yeah, there's none... There's a huge disparity. And I just don't like the idea because, I mean, I've not checked up on it, but I know for a lot of people, myself included, may have wrongly thought, well, there's captions there. Mission accomplished. Done. <laughs> Let's shake our hands off. It's finished. But like, I, you, know, you or I, we don't rely on it no. normally. So you don't look at it with that kind of critical point. So I imagine it must be a fucking right pain in the yeah. arse. Yeah, yeah. Fucking shitty. Rubbish. Ric Flair gets his number drawn, and unfortunately for Bobby the Brain Heenan, it's number three, and he very objectively just screams out, Damn it! As soon as Flair comes out. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> My favourite quote ever, which is, I have to apologise to the fans at home, I do not think I can be objective in this match. <laughs> there are all these amazing moments and quotes from Bobby. Basically what's happening in the match is Ric Flair is getting the shit knocked out of him. He gets painted from pillar to post. The first person he's in there with is the British Bulldog, who's a big, massive dude. He's throwing him around. Flair's taking him, like, you know, it's not like he's going to be in there for a while and he's going to be hiding away. Bobby keeps saying to him, look, take a powder, you know, roll into the bottom rope. Run away. <laughs> Live to fight another day. Wait, does take a powder mean take a break? Yeah. 
Oh my god. I, I really th- thought it meant like <laughs> do <cocaine>. some cocaine. <laughs> well, you know how much cocaine they're on. See, Joe and I have been watching The Apprentice a lot recently, and it's, it's this kind of it's this thing where you just assume that everyone who's an adult in the world and is functioning at a higher level is doing some amount and they're slightly annoying or slightly intense they're doing some amount of cocaine like you know so everyone in this match is doing is everyone everyone every single one it's especially obvious with Roddy and Ric Flair so maybe the phrase take a powder no not that one (laughs) a metaphorical powder you idiots but yeah he kept trying to encourage Ric Flair to basically like just just leave the ring stop wrestling stop wrestling (laughs) lie on his back I love like these guys he's got the the best interest of his favourite boy Ric Flair in mind but it made Rick look really good as well because of the fact that Rick didn't do that like mm. I was paying quite close attention because obviously in a, in a Royal Rumble you've mentioned it to me before I was like oh pay attention to who's in first and how long they last and also how much actually wrestling they do especially mm. this year when we had Roman Reigns absent for about 45 minutes of the match oh yeah he did he took a nice little bit of a sleep that time didn't he Roman Reigns mm. you know but then he comes out and it's like wow Roman's been in the match for five hours Hours, you know, he did watch two Lord of the Rings movies in that time, but still, it's pretty cool. Like. But Ric Flair, he was, he kept going. Like he didn't take loads of breaks. He was fighting pretty much constantly. And I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind. I think a lot of people rag on commentary sometimes, kind of expecting commentary to be this magic like wand you can wave and all of a sudden it'll make everything engrossing and like oh there's a story there's the fucking there's the bill there's the you know the the motivations of all the characters if the wrestlers aren't doing it in the ring you can have great you know you can have great lyrics you've no music you're not gonna have a pretty shit song you have a pretty nice poem on your hands or a mm. decent sonnet maybe if your rhyming structure's there you know a b b b a never it's okay i do know the rhyming structure of a sonnet though but yeah it's it's nice <laughs> to see weirdest Casual brag in a wrestling podcast. Come at me. I I don't do cocaine, yeah, but I do do level eight theory, speech and drama. So you know, come (laughs) at me, yeah, come at me. I think it's it's really yeah, it's really interesting having a commentator sort of add to the heel character of a wrestler without them having to actually do any of the heel moves themselves. The best commentators always would say that they would go to like the backstage area beforehand like Foley wrote about in his book like when he started before Vince wore him down to a little nub he'd have his big biro and pad and he'd walk around going look what what is it you're trying to get over tonight mm. What have you got a new move what's your finisher call because you know when people do finishers and the announcers don't call them yeah. and he'd sit there with pen and paper trying to go right I'm going to try and get across the story that they want to tell and we'll work together because if that's what they're doing in the ring and I know it, then we can all work together and make it happen. And this is a really great example of like them working in unison just to make it to that higher level. I fucking love it. I think and it works as well when you've got a strong play-by-play like Gorilla Monsoon calling him out every step of the way. Mm. You're supposed to be a journalist. Shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, so that I missed in this. But maybe, I don't know, what do you think about it? I kept watching this match, and I hadn't seen this match in years. I kept watching it going, fuck, I wish they would cut back to Bobby, because I can hear him sweating. Mm. And I think if I cut back to Bobby Heaton, his shirt's all disheveled, and his hair's a mess, and he's fucking dripping bullets. I thought that would have made it a bit more, but yeah, I don't I, know. I agree. I don't think it's as important, obviously, when you've just got commentary for commentary's sake, but the fact that 
Bobby Heenan was actually a part of this storyline. Like mm. he's emotionally invested in this probably more than a lot of the wrestlers in the actual match. <laughs> yeah. So I want to hear and I want to see his reaction to what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I always wonder if it was because I know oftentimes in the past they've shied away from doing that because they don't like the announcers to be the center point. They don't want them to be the focus or whatever. But he obviously is in this match. Like, you can't avoid it. Yeah, it's true, yeah. So he should have maybe popped that camera on him. The Texas Tornado appears and starts beating the shit out of Ric Flair. Everyone just comes out and beats up Ric Flair. It's fantastic. I find the pacing of this match is especially interesting because, like you say, yeah, everyone comes out, everyone picks on Ric Flair, and you find yourself, like, about 30 times in this match feeling that Ric Flair is about to get eliminated, and then suddenly, like, just as he's got, like, about to be pummeled over the top rope, the 10 countdown starts, and you know that someone else is going to come to the ring, and suddenly there's a distraction, and he manages to get out of it. It's amazing that he manages to find a way to both be a coward and also be incredibly resilient. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Bobby's commentary really, really helps that. Because I think if Rick was just there on his own doing all that stuff, you'd probably just go like, fuck, Rick Flair. He's just Flair. a bit of a face then, isn't it? Yeah, he's a bit of a fucking badass. Yeah. But the fact that Bobby's squirming so much and you know that Rick and Bobby are tight. Yeah, and Bobby so, keeps saying, like, do all these really nasty heelish things. And- like, Flair, I'm quite, you know, soon into this, they realise that Flair's going to break the all-time record record for longest amount of time in the rumble and that on its own that's an accolade right there but as soon as they say that bobby's like oh no he's freaking out because in their game plan they only budgeted for him to be in the ring for 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and that's like not part of the three-point plan for a fair fair (laughs) greg the hammer valentine comes out and he uses the figure four leg lock on rick flair and that's also rick flair's finishing maneuver (laughs) bobby just goes oh no that is a great move, though. Just, you know, it's, it's fantastic, like. People think, and it's often said in wrestling, Jim Cornette is a, a personality in wrestling who's always had this phrase, funny doesn't make money. And if you're making people laugh, people aren't going to take you seriously. Particularly if you're a bad guy making people laugh, you're throwing money away. Hmm. Well, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that uh, Jim Cornette is one of the most irrelevant men in current wrestling. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> just, just saying, he's wrong. Has your video been shared by Fred Ottoman? Didn't think so. So, uh, come back <laughs> to us soon. It's like such a shit thing to say. It's obviously not true. Yeah, I f- honestly, if there was no comedy in wrestling, I would not watch wrestling. No, me neither. You know, if there was no intentional comedy in wrestling, I wouldn't watch. If there was no unintentional comedy in wrestling, I definitely wouldn't watch. Mm. The fucking best thing about wrestling. It is the best thing about it. It's such a natural part of wrestling, in my opinion. It's so important. <laughs> Bobby Heaton starts acting like your dad uh, not your dad just a dad at a football game when he gets really too into it he starts threatening to leave and like go and like just go in there like I'm gonna go down to ringside I'm gonna get in there I'm gonna you know assume he's gonna go with a hammer like you know girl him on soon like sit down <laughs> comes down to Ric Flair and the big boss man in the ring at one moment and Bobby starts hyperventilating requiring oxygen literally asking at one point for oxygen <laughs> at several points he asks for oxygen and every time it just ends up that Ric Flair is in the ring on his own mm. he goes that's it he's won he's, he's won he's, he's the champion <laughs> and like that level of silliness like and I think again that more to the point people go oh funny used to make money but that level of silliness that's what drew me into wrestling Jesse Ventura like he was the only reason I would watch old wrestling I've said before in other podcasts like when I first got into wrestling I came from a point of view that I didn't like wrestling because I had seen 
Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. And I'd seen a lot of these slow dinosaurs. And I thought it was really hokey and silly. Mm. But then when I heard the commentary, my friends telling me about the commentary, I just thought it was so ridiculous. Like the Iron Sheik putting Hulk Hogan in the camel clutch and screaming at him in a foreign language. And then Jesse Ventura going, shut up, McMahon, I speak fluent Iraqi. He says he's going to beat Hulk Hogan, like, you know. (laughs) Humour is just so, it's such an important such an important part of it especially as a new fan yeah it's like wrestling is so silly you can't it was one of the things that really put me off the idea of ever bothering to watch wrestling is because as far as i concerned it was a very silly thing takes itself too seriously way too seriously and as well let's be honest wrestling fans take themselves way too seriously as well it's true we do like as an industry generally takes itself too seriously and i think anything it can do to lighten it up a bit is only a good thing. I think wrestling is at its most inclusive at moments. Mm. Like, I mean, the moment we get when Ric Flair once again managed to be on the ring all on his own, barely standing, you know, fucking hair's a mess, and the countdown timer is going, and Bobby's there going, just you know, pace yourself, you've got seven seconds, breathe through your nose, it's going to be okay. And then Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out. <laughs> it looks like he's done two seasons worth of cocaine at this point. I like he the apprentice season. <laughs> like. The rougher earlier seasons before Alan Sugar really you know put his foot down about having a certain quality of candidate in the process. <laughs> but even if you don't know who Rowdy Roddy Piper is. Even if you don't know that these two hate each other and all that, the fact that you've got this guy going, "Oh shit!" and then Roddy Piper comes into the ring and is like, "Ah!" Yeah. and he does it. He does a little twirl. He's yes, a little pirouette. And Bobby Heenan's going, "Oh no!" <laughs> that's just like how like that's so uniform. Anyone can watch that and be like, "That's fucking that." I get that. I know what's happening here. You need to be a wrestling fan to understand those no. moments. And again, like adding to the whole. To Bobby's character and also adding to the fact that he's really invested in Ric Flair winning. Like, he comes out with some fantastic lines in this. Like, with Roddy Piper, (laughs) who is like... (laughs) He pulls a guy off Rick at some point and starts beating on him. And he goes, uh, I love you, Roddy. It's not a skirt, it's a kilt. And then literally five seconds later, Roddy turns on Rick and starts beating on him. And you've got Bobby screaming, I hate him! The skirt-wearing freak! (laughs) He's like, he's so fickle. I love it. It's so funny. Fucking beautiful. At one point where they have reached here now where he has surpassed the all-time record, Gorilla Monsoon, he's the good guy commentator. And again, like this is a good, great play-by-play. He's not like, oh, he's the bad guy, so therefore I hate him. And that's always the worst thing I think a play-by-play can do is like automatically hating all the heels and never yeah. saying they can do anything good. He's saying like, wow, what an athlete Flair is. He's managed to survive like 50 minutes or whatever it was at that point. Like, they really do a good job there and also as well like filling in a little few backstories about some of the wrestlers who didn't like each other like Macho Man and Jake Roberts went right after each other although that led to a very confusing moment in the match where Macho Man jumped over the top rope oh god and then Bobby Heaton with the cover of the century saying oh because he wasn't thrown over the top rope Mm. that means he is not eliminated you know what I don't understand more commentators don't do especially like obviously colour commentators is calling out the ref. Mm. Being like, what the fuck, ref? Why'd you do that for? You mm. idiot. Like, they do it in football and things like that quite often. Like, oh, ref's an idiot. That's funny. They actually have... It's one of their... kind of. We're going to go through them in a bit. We have a, a document of rules, basically. We'll go through them later. But that is one of their rules, which is don't run down the credibility of the referees too right. much. 
Because if you're like, how did the referee not see that? Or ref, come on for fuck's sake. They say it's bad because you ruin the credibility of the referees. And once the credibility of the referees is gone, the, ref- the, the credibility of the whole show is gone, basically. Ah, so see. if the referee is ever incapacitated, doesn't see it, it's like, oh, he hit him! Or the ref can't, obviously can't make the count because the ref was incapacitated by this opponent. Or the ref, you know, had to make the call because of what he saw. They'll do replays. They'll very rarely just go, that ref fucked up, you know. That's like, <laughs> that's one of the things they'll never do, seemingly. Wow. Even though, off, clearly here... Yeah, clearly he's made the wrong call. Very, very much the wrong call. You'll have to kill Ric Flair to eliminate him. <laughs> it's literally a quote from Bobby down the line. Bobby Heenan loses his shit when Hulk Hogan comes out. He's like, just desperate at this point. He says, just let him win. I'll never do or say anything bad ever again. Like He's not specifically talking to God, but I think he is having a come-to-Jesus moment <laughs> to the point like... <laughs> like the last five minutes he says that he's soaking wet and needs a stiff drink at this point see, yeah this is where I really want to see Bobby Heenan on camera I want to see him soaking wet needing this stiff drink when they formally announced that he has become the record holder for being the longest in the Royal Rumble good enough for me just give him the belt already <laughs> and it's funny because he's getting to this point now where he's saying all this stuff that there's no way that Rick can actually fucking win because it's gone to this silly point of there's no way that this clown Bobby Heenan can actually prove right after all his ups and downs and doubts and everything. And yet it comes down to it in the end that because of Sid Justice and Hogan being in each other's face, Flair manages to just throw him over the top rope. He wins. And the one good thing the captions did in this was they got the 29 yeses that Bobby Heenan did when he won yep. the matches. Yeah, the screen filled up with the giant yeses. I love this. <laughs> What did you think to the commentary? Never mind reading the match itself, but the commentary and how it helped us. I did find it hard to understand. Mm. Like, audibly, it's it was quite confusing. There is a lot of cling, 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 cling in this rumble. Yeah. cowbells or whatever. So yeah, the sound mixing wasn't good. That really didn't help matters. The captions obviously didn't help as much as I hoped they would. But the bits that I did hear, I am sad that quite a lot of the funniest lines I actually didn't, I didn't even catch, even with subtitles on. Even with captions on and listening intently just for the commentary. I thought it was Frank that was saying it. I didn't realise it was Bobby Heenan that was saying it. (laughs) I mean, if you are someone who relies on captions, because, I mean, we put the call out for people who rely on commentary, but if you are someone who relies on captions, like, you have had experiences like this, do tweet us. Use the hashtag HowToCommentary as kind of part of the episode, because I've always liked the discussions to keep going. Mm. I'd love to know what other people's experiences are, because by and large, it seems to be people like me screen capping funny captions mm-hmm. on the network and I'm pretty sure there are people who rely on those and aren't satisfied and I think that needs to be better Yeah. so if you've had experiences good, bad or otherwise do let us know use the hashtag hate commentary tweet us like from my perspective because I found it very difficult to tell them apart which is funny because I said at the beginning oh, I'm a bit worried I won't be able to tell them apart and you were like no no it's fine they're very different voices but actually when you have to hear them over a screaming crowd mm. and watch what's going on in a match and Sometimes it is just genuinely difficult to tell who would say something yeah. versus the other person. I did find it really difficult. So, like, for my sake, it would really helpful if they did um, different t- coloured text. Oh, shit, yeah. To indicate who in commentary is talking. Mm, that's a really, really good idea, really yeah. If you are, again, relying on these captions... You can't the, tell who's saying You don't what. know who's saying what. It's just, the, here are the things that are being said mm. by anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's really unclear. But it was so funny. And I think Bobby Heenan's obviously so funny. He's like obviously very, very gifted. But like I think a really, really important part of this match is actually 
the relationship between him and Gorilla Monsoon mm. is how well they played off each other. The fact that yeah. because like Bobby Heenan on its own would be funny, yeah, sure, but it wouldn't tell that kind of desperate story in the same way that you've got like the down to earth Gorilla Monsoon being like, "Come on, sit down, stop trying to get into the ring." Come on now, he's he's probably not going to make it all the way to this end. And he's gentle and, teasing. He's like, yeah. "Oh, your meal tickets are about to be thrown over the top rope." Yeah. yeah, that kind of gentle teasing to kind like of wind him up. Yeah, yeah, it it really works because I mean, you can be funny and be a shit commentator. Mm. You know, there's no doubt. Like, there's loads of commentators who I'm sure are fucking life of the party, really personable guys, but can't do commentary for shit. Percy Watson on NXT, <laughs> but like, it, yeah, it takes more than just being able to tell a joke and being funny and having a bit of time and you need to be able to work with someone else and those two fucking fabulous stuff I'm really glad you enjoyed that yeah it was really good thanks everyone for the solid recommendation so yeah I sent out a call just kind of asking if anyone on Twitter anyone who we kind of knew of were someone who had visual impairment or someone who had difficulty of, of seeing basically someone who would end up relying on on WWE's commentary or wrestling commentary in general and how useful it is because, you know, technically speaking, if you look at a sport, you should be able to listen to the commentary and know what's going on. Yeah, like that's that's the point of the... Like, first and foremost, that is the point of the commentary, right? Yes. (laughs) On on paper, that's it. That's that's the point of the commentary, yeah. And I kind of think of, like, oftentimes where you've got, like, Byron Saxton, JBL and Morrow when they were just all talking over each other. And if you were someone who wants to... You know, watch WWE, even if you weren't like someone who's completely blind to someone who had impairment and relied on the commentary more than someone, it would be very fucking difficult. Well, the whole point of accessibility, it isn't actually even just for people with like disabilities or anything. The whole point of accessibility is to make it accessible for everyone under any circumstance. So like, for example, with accessibility in the case of commentary, the idea being that maybe you're doing the washing up and you can't see the screen. If it's accessible, you should still be able to consume that content mm. that's the point of accessibility it's, it's for everyone and that does include disabilities yeah so it pisses me off for one when people are like oh i shouldn't care about this i'm not disabled yeah yeah you know, why should i give a shit it, it's to help everyone okay it's gonna help you as well as all the other people who actually need this to enjoy what we're consuming and i just think it's you know it's a bit small-minded of people to assume that there are people who would rely on commentary or you know, have, have different needs. Obviously, of course there are. And, you know, wrestling fans come from all walks of life, yeah. like, you know. So, yeah, um, we got some messages from a guy called Jeff Behrens, who has only got around 40% vision at any one time due to vision loss that he has. And he wrote to us just explaining kind of his experience. First, I'm only able to see about 40% of the screen at one time due to my vision loss. So you would think that commentary would be integral to my experience, but unfortunately it is not. Some commentary teams are more informative than others, of course, but for the most part, they are just filler noise, advertisements, catchphrases, and general discussion. I watch a lot of sports, and it's actually the same with them as well. You listen to particular commentary teams that are more helpful and avoid some broadcasts almost altogether. Most visually impaired people will listen to a radio feed with an earpiece while watching the TV feed. God, that's so much worse. <laughs> I know, right? You've got to really love wrestling to put in that much effort. Like, these are these are real fans. 
fans. <laughs> Radio feeds obviously call more actions. They have to inform the listener to a greater extent. Sometimes there's a time delay, but you can work around that. Obviously, there's no radio feed for Raw or SmackDown, so you have to find another way. I believe that they used to do Radio WF, they used to do the pay-per-views they would do a radio feed for. But as far as I know, it was just the commentary. I'm not really sure. Really? Because I actually have wondered about that. Because mm. it's one of the few sports I've never really heard of being on the radio. Some primary action callers are better than others. I was a big fan of Vince McMahon when I was younger. (laughs) Vindicated. Yes. Take that, everyone else and me. (laughs) (laughs) He was intense and absurd most of the time, but I almost always knew what was happening. JR was legendary, as you knew he was able to paint a great picture and help me piece together the things I missed. WCW's head announcer, Tony Schiavone, was quite helpful most of the time. Michael Cole, he's less good. No surprise there, but this isn't the biggest problem. The problem is always the colour commentators. When Taz was working, things often got confused. The worst perpetrator for this is Booker T. It is nearly impossible to piece together what is happening when he is a microphone in his hands. Although JBL has been funny sometimes, brackets, sometimes, <laughs> he talked so much that the commentary was almost useless in aiding me as to what was going on. The most important change that WWE and other companies can make to help the visually impaired is to lose the third man and the commentary team, or the second colour commentator altogether. That just takes up so much more time as bickering and establishing the face and heel dynamic and who ate who. It really is awful and makes everything much harder to follow. Second, the other things besides commentary can help. The WWE replay people are incredible. Seeing what happens twice and in slow-mo really helps me appreciate the talent and the athleticism. The angles are usually great and it clears up any of the fogginess that I may have had. I also have DVR and I can simply go back and forth during the broadcast and watch anything again. That helps a lot. Specific types of things are harder to follow for me and even some wrestlers. Obviously the more people are in the ring the harder it is to follow. Especially when the spots aren't as clean as they should be and we have to rely on replays and stuff like that. Daniel Bryan was particularly hard to follow because he runs everywhere and it can seem nonsensical at times wow I never considered that god it's interesting to think that like certain wrestlers wrestling styles can be inaccessible <laughs> never would have considered yeah. that in a million years when he used to do his knee to the face finisher and for some reason he runs back and forth the opposite turnbuckle I used to always think he was being attacked from the other side and the other and I would start scanning the area for a new opponent who would run in <laughs> One good thing is when you can't see very, very good, a lot of gimmicks work really great. For me, The Undertaker really can just appear out of nowhere, <laughs> despite him clearly running tired from a side. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks. I hope the show goes great, and thanks for reaching out. Jeff, thank you so much for what honestly is one of the most unique perspectives on commentary and watching wrestling that I don't think any of us had considered. No, it's why it's so important that we hear all these different diverse voices so we can get all these different perspectives on how to enjoy wrestling yeah Yeah, i know i would never have considered daniel bryan being hard to follow but that makes perfect sense of course he is yeah jesus 205 live must be a fucking nightmare for our life yeah tell them kids go out there slow it down so people are going to see it better (laughs) (laughs) also the point about going back on the dvr Mm. has again reminded me of just how fucking shit the network is okay i'm gonna have a bit of a, a mini network rant for a second right Rewinding a match. <laughs> the hardest thing ever. Why do they have such a bad no, user that's, interface? No, that's the ring apron. That's the hardest part of the, the ring, isn't it? I'm going to powerbomb someone off the rewind feature of the WWE <laughs> Network. That's the hardest part of the WWE Universe. But it is. It's ridiculous. Like I appreciate they have the little dots to signify the start and end of a match. Mm. But like the actual rewind function is so bad. It's so, so shit to find a place where you've like dropped off yeah it's crappy 
And the actual user interface of the network itself anyway is also really, really shit. If you're trying to find a recent pay-per-view, it's often not on the main menu. Mm. It's not even on like trending or whatever their little, you know, currently currently talked about window, whatever it's called. It's so hard to find certain matches, Mm. certain wrestlers. It's just the worst designed interface I can... Yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> I bet there's going to be loads of people who go, how dare you, the network is great interface. <laughs> really, really, I can find anything I, I want so long as it's WWE ride along. So you had a bit of an interesting idea, Joe, for a match we could do that we could maybe, not necessarily test, but experience what it's like to rely on the WWE commentary a little bit more and see how good a job it does at yeah. painting a picture. Yeah, let's see if it does what it's supposed to do. So I figured, let's watch a match without looking at it. Just listening. Just listening. So I picked out a match. You asked me if there was like a match where there's like particularly good commentary or descriptive commentary. Or we wouldn't want to. You know, we're not going to look at a random ass match from the middle of a three-hour RAW where they're talking about something else. We already know. So we thought we'd go with something that is known to be good. So a match that I always the commentary sticks in my mind I suggested and a lot of people suggested in terms of the best called match ever by and large this came up near the top of the list every time which was Jeff Hardy versus The Undertaker from Raw's War in 2002 it's a ladder match for the WWE Championship so do you want to explain to the people how it was you went about experiencing this sure so we watched the match twice the first time we watched, obviously Kevin's seen this match before, so he knows what happens. You know, yes. You're quite familiar. I am. I used to watch this match so much that me and my best friend Paddy, when we first went to university, used to get really drunk and emotional and watch it because we were big Jeff Hardy fans. Fucking dorks. And we used to watch it like really late. It's like we were like two in the morning. Do you think if we watch this match again, Jeff will win? <laughs> Spoilers, he loses. But do you think if we watch this match again, he will win? <laughs> Let's do it. Come on, Jeff. So yeah, we we kind of have watched this one an awful lot. When the commentary keeps hitting me right in the feels, even talking about it now, like I'm getting whatever the sad version of Goosebumps is. You yeah, know, so. you got Goosebumps before when we watched it both <laughs> times yeah oh yeah seriously so yeah we watched it twice the first time we watched it it was without any visuals just relying on the commentary and i made notes to see if i could figure out what on earth is going on in the match in theory if the commentary is good and is doing what it's supposed to i should be able to come out of that viewing mm-hmm. knowing who won the main points of the match yeah any top moments high spots or high anything spots like that and the story yeah that's all I'm, I'm not expecting to get you know every move nothing like that I just want to get the general general gist I want to be able to enjoy it the way I'd enjoy any sort of wrestling match that I would watch the visuals for obviously it's not fair to ask me this seeing as I've seen this match so many times but for you you watched it dark the first time yeah what was it like watching a wrestling match with no visuals at all like how did it play out it was quite this is going to sound so weird, but I think I was just excited because of doing this for the episode. Yeah, yeah. And I've never done it before. <laughs> and I was really curious because, you know, like I said before a hundred times, I turn off the commentary when we're watching like wrestling. Like, in my mind, it's mm. not there because I find it so unhelpful most of the time. So to actually have to rely on it and not only not tune it out, but actually play close attention, it was quite an exciting thing to try and do. It was great. You clearly enjoyed it because you had... Like a, a, a look on your face that was best described as people slightly after the war listening to good news on the radio, mm. like leaning in going, oh, with a big smile that's getting ever bigger. Like, what's this? Rations are over? Fuck off. You fucking shit. Seriously. I can eat cauliflower again. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. 
So they could eat cauliflower. They think they could grow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I love that you were just like leading in. I, I assumed it went was a good experience, a positive experience. It was fun, definitely fun. It was confusing. There were definitely <laughs> moments I had no idea what was going on, and I just had to guess. Okay. How would you want to do this then? Are you going to read me through kind of what you experienced the first time, then kind of point out what you missed? Or? Yeah, I figured we'd go through the match like I did the first time, so without any visuals, mm. see what on earth I thought was going on and then go through it again from the beginning with so we watched it the second time around with visuals yes which answered some questions for me that I had so like the first watch through if I didn't know what was going on I made a note of that right yeah yeah so that I could learn what happened next time and especially the case with like certain noises where you've got like objects hitting people you have no idea what is going on oh, I thought you meant because like who, our announcers for this match are Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler so yeah. when you said noises I thought you meant like ah, ah, bah, and and <laughs> and oh yeah no no I mean like clashing of objects ah, I see right 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 you often can't tell if it's an object against an object object against person object dropping on the floor person against table it's, it's really hard to know person jumping out of ring person jumping out of ring onto person there's so many things it could be so unless the commentators actually call it yeah you don't know hmm. some are better than others so We'll go through it, shall we? Yes, please. First of all, as I've mentioned before, the mixing wasn't great. So I had to pay, that's why I was leaning in, I had to pay really close attention mm, right, to try yeah, yeah. actually understand. And I find that Jerry Lawler does not enunciate his words very clearly. Such an annoying fucking voice. But, but Jim Ross, really good. So he explained the general rules of the match very clearly. At the beginning. So it's a ladder match, which means you have to climb up the top of the ladder to get the championship. Get the belt. Yeah. No pinfalls, no disqualifications. Undertaker started in the ring before Jeff did. Mm-hmm. So Jeff comes out and somehow he lures the Undertaker out of the ring and attacked him. That's all we know. He's, he lured him. <laughs> That's all they say on commentary. I know there are some weapons involved at this point where they have like a kerfuffle. Was there noises? It was was a noise. There was a noise making contact with, I think, a person. And I was thinking maybe it would be a ladder. Because I figured that's what they're going to have in the ring. So I'm having to use kind of my own brain here. It's like a puzzle. (laughs) Try and work out what they're doing. It's basically, if you've ever snooped on, like, neighbours or anything like that, and, like, put your a glass to a, to a door, and, like, why are they doing it? You mm. kind of you hear the noises, you have to paint the picture yourself. Like, exactly, yeah. you have to use a bit of imagination. <laughs> Jim Ross states that The Undertaker hasn't been in a ladder match ever up until this point, which is mm. very interesting. Yeah. That helps set the scene in terms of, okay, I understand at what point in his career he is, and I understand that this might be something new and scary for him. And also, yeah, it'll help... It won't make you just kind of go, oh, well, Jeff Hardy's the smaller, younger guy, so he's going to get beat up. You kind of think, well, Jeff Hardy's more of a... a they, they, they start talking about him being a daredevil and a risk taker, mm-hmm. and they talked about him being in ladder matches. So that's a really... Like, again, that's not a big, lengthy description. It's like, Jeff's been in loads, he's not been in any. So there you go. You can throw your, your prediction out in your head. Yeah. I, I love that. It makes intrigue straight away. Definitely. Some context gets given to the match by Jerry Lawler, explaining that last week The Undertaker had completely destroyed Jeff Hardy. Lawler starts talking about how his money's on The Undertaker, whereas JR, he's siding on Jeff Hardy. He thinks Jeff Hardy's going to win. Because JR always wishes upon a star. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff throws The Undertaker into a ladder. From the commentary, it sounds like it was a full body shot, so he, he got thrown all the way into the ladder. Quite Ow. painful. Ow. Undertaker hits Jeff Hardy with a ladder in the face. Ow. At some point, Jeff Hardy gets hit with something and has landed limply on the announcer table. Oh, yeah, this was the bit that was really confusing because mm. when the, 
when the action gets near the announcers, usually most of them just shut the fuck up and be like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to trip over and spill my coke or, you know, unplug this wire, which always happens. And JR just starts, like, kind of going, and he kind of loses himself a little bit. Yeah. So I think at this point he's landed on the announcer table, but I'm not actually sure. They've not said that. Yeah. Okay. Undertaker's setting up a ladder nearby, I think. Judging from some sound effects of scraping, I think they mentioned as well about him getting a ladder. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing he won't be the one jumping from it, given that it's The Undertaker versus Jeff. Oh, no. Top rope taker can run. What are you talking about? <laughs> Old school. The commentary tell me that the promise from The Undertaker of this match is that Jeff won't be left standing. Mm. Right? That's the story that The Undertaker is, is, is selling what the commentators are trying to elaborate it's on. A, it's a simple, like real simple story. And again, it's like not one that it's like... You know, there was times... TNA is a company which is very easy to pick on at the moment. I don't even know if they're called that anymore. That's how easy they are to pick on. But, like, there is times I I would tune in and kind of go, right, what's going on this week? It's like, Hulk Hogan's in the ring. You gotta think that he's thinking about last week with that triple threat. Ken Anderson picking up the win over Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy. He's going on to sacrifice, which means he's going to be facing Bully Ray. And Hulk Hogan has got words about that tonight. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, anyone who could tune in. If you're not a wrestling fan, even you could grab that story. That's yeah. not like that's not fucking exclusionary. Sorry, oh, you've done the required reading for this yeah. fucking wrestling show. <laughs> and also the fact that it's a ladder match. He won't be left standing. It's quite a clear story mm. there. He's going to try and stop him from climbing the ladder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Given that Jeff Hardy's a high flyer, mm. that's going to set its own whole story up. And I'm hoping at this point that what he means by "won't be left standing" means that the Undertaker is going to work Jeff's leg. Ah. So I'm, I'm listening out then at that point for any mentions of working the leg. I think he's listening out for any leg noises. <laughs> <laughs> One point, this, the commentary, I can't remember who says this, just says, this is sad, this is damn sad, and they give no context to this. That was JR saying that. And I think what was happening there was that was when Jeff had just been, like, there wasn't even loads of moves been done to that point. He was just like, he'd been punched and he couldn't stand up, like, and he was just kind of laying in a heap. Right. So they were just, this is sad. Oh, I see. <laughs> loads of other noises now, okay? Lots of clashing and banging. Crowd is suddenly really noisy. It's like, really, it's almost impossible to hear the commentators mm. over the crowd suddenly. Don't know why. And then The Undertaker, he appears to be on the offensive so far. The commentators say Jeff is being dissected. So it sounds like The Undertaker is massively beating on Jeff. Mm. Jeff is losing. Are they calling moves? Like saying Some specifically, moves. oh, he's just punched him there or right hands or things like that. Or is it just more like the effects of what's happening. No, no, they do call some moves. Mm. Not all of them. I wouldn't say... Because I think if you called all the moves, it would actually be more confusing. There are people who do that, you see. Mm. Joey Styles, who would have been the ECW announcer, and he was very unique in the fact that he did it on his own. He didn't have a colour commentator with him most of the time. It was just him on his own. But he would call every fucking move. Mm. And he actually commentated for WWE in like 2005. And it was so weird because it's like, here comes the match. Like sidearm takedown there, you know, hooks the leg. He just started calling every move. And the other announcers were like, the fuck are you doing? Like, they didn't say anything. They just went quiet. And yeah. it was awkward because he called every move. I like the moves being called, particularly big moves. Yeah, big moves, definitely. Like they called any time like someone was thrown into the turnbuckle mm. or... Uh, on the apron or anything like that. The commentary at this point is like really going hard on the fact that The Undertaker is really on the offensive against Jeff. Heavily implying that the match is potentially career ending in fact for Jeff Hardy. But then Jeff starts fighting back. I don't hear weapons 
But the commentators make it clear that he's now able to fight back a bit. And then the Undertaker gets back on the offensive. Worth mentioning at this point, no one has mentioned anyone climbing up the ladder. So at this point, as far as I'm concerned, no one has climbed the ladder yet. Okay, or set okay. it up or anything like yeah, that. Or... nothing. Cool. No mention. So Jeff is thrown through a ladder and he gets hit on his back and then he manages to get on the offensive. So Jeff now is fighting back against The Undertaker and he does a corkscrew off the top of something. So he says like he does a corkscrew. Did you know what that was? Like you said, he did a corkscrew. Yeah, so I know what a corkscrew is. Okay. That's the one where they go spinny. Or <laughs> um, Joe did do a little hand, a finger twirly there in the shape of a corkscrew. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, Roddy Piper when he entered the Royal Rumble in 92. Except off a top rope. Off a top rope, yeah. But I don't know what it's a corkscrew off the top of. Okay, right. They've yeah. not stated. So that could be a ladder. Mm. Probably more likely the top rope. Mm. So I'm going to assume it's like out of the ring and it's going to be a beautiful, amazing move that I've not seen there. So that's something I thought was interesting because I picked up that when we watched it without the visuals. One thing I thought they would be much more clear about was sense of place where they were at any given time in yeah, the ring, in the ring. ring and they never really mention no, that yeah I swear to god maybe it's just that wrestling game we played as a kid attitude anytime you check, went out of the ring they're like oh check it out he's afraid he's gone out of the ring like <laughs> you know you know they say in wrestling games so maybe it's leaked into my head that oh an answer's always called when you leave the ring but not here obviously they didn't in this match at all weird um, so at this point I think I think Jeff Hardy is trying to put up the ladder mm mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I'm just basing this on the fact that I can hear some grunts <laughs> um, and some some general noise, okay? It just sounds like it could be someone setting up a ladder. I'm relying on this sa- sound effects to, to Ladder guess. setting up noise effects. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think, I think I hear The Undertaker attack him because The Undertaker makes a noise. But The Undertaker makes some loads of noises. He does. He does a lot of boop. Like he does a lot of uh, but and uh, uh, but he also will do a uh, when he gets hit as well. So you know he, he is a grunty man, you know. Yeah. So so this is all the picture in my mind at this point. Okay. Mm. So in my head, from what I can tell, Jeff Hardy has set up the ladder. He climbed up the ladder, and then the Undertaker probably attacked him, mm-hmm. and then. Jeff Hardy jumped off the ladder over the top rope onto the Undertaker. Mm. So I guess. The Undertaker must have, like, attacked him and then left the ring. I don't really know. This is a bit confusing. Oh, I know the spot you're talking about here. Yeah. But I'm doing this all from just, like, vague, short sentences from the commentators because they're not really calling this bit. They're just being like, oh, my God. And That does happen with commentators as well. When they see something that's genuinely like, holy shit, they just go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, lots of unfinished sentences. And noises. And noises. So I think that's what's happened at this point. Okay. then Hardy's back in the ring and he's setting up the ladder again. Or it's a, it's a different ladder. It might be a different second ladder, okay? And then he's climbing the ladder, but he's in pain, okay? I know he's climbing the ladder at this point, okay? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Don't know about the first time. This time, definitely. And he's in pain. He's climbing the ladder and he's clearly very nearly close to reaching the championship. He's really close and all the commentators are making this clear. He's almost, almost there. Oh God, I'm getting goosebumps now. Even you saying in this like weird third hand, <laughs> non-visual way. I'm like, oh damn it, Jeff. Come on, you could fucking do it, mate. Come on. But then The Undertaker somehow hits Jeff Hardy in the spine just as he was about to reach the title. Ah, fuck it. I think it's with a chair, but it could be with another ladder. Mm. He's climbing the ladder now and he's inches away. 
And then you get more shots from Undy to Jeff's spine. <laughs> Undy. Yeah, I've written him as Undy a lot in here. Don't call him Underoo. That's the, the, the one I won't accept. Undy is cute though. Uh, and then Jeff's climbing the ladder again. I think this is all hypotheticals at this point. Okay, mm. no idea from the moment that like he was moments away from reaching the title. Because that's the point where Jr. says the famous line: "Climb the ladder, kids. Make yourself famous." That's the one. Oh man! So I think that I think only Jeff is climbing the ladder at this point, and Undertaker mm. is about to hit him. And then all we hear is, "No, oh God, no." <laughs> Jeff was killed or something. Uh. Well, commentators call this bit. They say Undertaker did a sh- choke slam to Jeff off the top of the ladder, which is amazing. So I know what happens there. That's good. Yeah. That's good calling. Mm. Okay, that's fucking awesome. I can have that in my head. The mental picture of the Undertaker, huge, great, big guy, probably scared of ladders for whatever reason in my head canon. <laughs> if he's, he's scared of cucumbers, he's going to be scared yeah. of ladders. Like, and he's yeah. tall. I always imagine tall people being scared of heights for some reason. It's because my dad's scared of heights. Anyway, so he choke slams Jeff Hardy, little poor Jeff Hardy. He's only little off the top <laughs> rope, and I imagine Jeff Hardy bouncing around, all flailing everywhere because he's all little and bouncy. And the Undertaker wins. Gave this match five stars. Really, 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 really enjoyed it. Well, just from the hearing of just it. Just from the hearing of it. So you could tell that it was an awesome match. Yeah. So the story of this match is just by listening. I know. Jeff Hardy's the underdog, even though he's got more experience in ladder matches than The Undertaker. But The Undertaker is this big brute, you know, mm. winner. Yeah, he yeah. always fucking wins. It's The Undertaker. But he's got no experience in the match. And we know that The Undertaker has spent most of this match on the offensive, with Jeff Hardy just getting small tastes of closeness to that championship. But only fleeting moments before The Undertaker beats him up and throws him out and flings him everywhere. So I'm imagining in my head, Jeff Hardy's had a fucking match of his life. He's yeah, battered, yeah. bruised and broken. Mm. So here's the question then. Like, were there bits, I know we mentioned, you know, about placement, where they were. Were there bits from watching this where you're kind of like, you know, the commentary should be saying this or I feel the comment, because like, this is an example of excellent commentary. So did you find that there was stuff lacking or stuff you thought the commentaries were surprised they didn't do? Or um, So generally I found that Jerry Lawler, he mumbles way too much. Wow. Like really he doesn't enunciate when he speaks. He doesn't speak clearly. It's obvious he doesn't give a shit if people fucking understand what he's saying. As far as I'm concerned, he just fucking mumbles. He doesn't ever do, that's the difference between him and like Paul Heyman because when Heyman had a problem with uh, with JR he'd be like let me tell you and he would fucking say it right to his face Oftentimes, Jerry will because he's, he's being fed lines you can tell he's kind of going well you know you know, you might want to view it from this kind of and it's it's coming out in drips and draps yeah. and it's not like a boom I've had a good reaction I'm telling this shit to you right now because something you need to realise even you know JR like these guys are getting so much of this verbiage through their ear. I always remember there's a movie Beyond the Mat and it shows you like, you know, backstage during like a Royal Rumble 1999 and you're hearing the commentary like Jerry Lawler going, oh, he's really busted open now and like you see a second before and Jim Ross going, he's really busted open now and he's like, you're not even saying it with the emotion, he's just saying it, he's on headsets in the back, he's going, say this now, now say this. So it's, it's always interesting to know Who's getting lines? I think yeah. Jerry probably gets a lot of them when he does that low talking. I think that's him being fed. Definitely. And also Jerry Lawler is really bad for um, not enunciating at pace with the crowd. So when the crowd gets really noisy or when there's a lot of stuff going on in the match, you obviously have to raise your voice a bit mm. to compensate for the fact that there's more sound yeah, yeah, yeah. to compete with. And worst of all, which is honestly, I think, the number one crime of a commentator is he talked over the play-by-play 
way too much all the time. Mm. He was constantly talking over Jim Ross. What did you think of Jim Ross? Jim Ross I thought was great. He clearly explained most of the moves and moments. But even he is quite bad for mumbling occasionally. There were certain times where I couldn't quite make out what he said. He gets caught up in the emotion a little bit sometimes. He'll kind of, he'll drop things he's saying. Like, I guess it kind of comes with doing that kind of reaction style of, of announcing like he likes to do, you know. I think most of that, though, is down to bad mixing. Or I don't say bad mixing, but it's it's a complicated thing, isn't it? To get the sound of a crowd and the sound, all the, the various sound effects like chairs and ladders. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, I've, I've never had that problem, but I've been watching wrestling for like 20 some years. So I'm just used to that. So, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to assume it because I'm used to it. That means that it's not a problem because, mm. you know, obviously I've been, my ears are tuned to that but I'm really interested to know if other people have had yeah please tell me I'm not alone in this because I was like literally like Kevin says leaning right into the headset trying to listen as carefully as I could and there were still many occasions I couldn't make out what they were saying so when you rewatched it with visuals what were the main kind of differences or were there any kind of like revelations when you watched it yes. with the visuals if it's okay with you I'd like to back to the beginning we get the generals of the match from jr like i mentioned before and out comes young Undertaker. so i knew he was young obviously <laughs> i knew it was his first ladder match but it was great to actually see how young that boy undertaker was well he's not even that young it's because he had kind of a more of a clean cut look than you've seen him in recent years because he would have been still in his 40s there whoa yeah really? that's so weird to think and we get jeff he looks like he's wearing some kind of mask did they look like you thought they would look like when you were here in the and then because I mean did you know that it was Undertaker on a motorbike Undertaker oh I mean I did at the very end of the first watch through but only because you turned the screen on back at the very very end of the match after it all finished and uh, we just saw the Undertaker looking red and tired and he's on a motorcycle ah okay I get it then so but like did you you didn't kind of get any sense of what Jeff or Undertaker really looked like though kind no, of no they didn't really describe mm, it at all interesting yeah so we get to the point now where Jeff somehow lures The Undertaker out of the ring and I wasn't really sure what went yes. on. And I thought maybe there was a ladder involved because mm. I heard a noise and making contact with someone. But what he did was he was meddling with a motorbike. Why didn't they say that? They I didn't thought, mention that yeah. at all. I didn't even know The Undertaker had a motorbike with him. That's so weird because that's like, that's his, at the time that was his character was that he had the fucking bike. Well, fucking tell me. Tell me about the bike and tell me what he's doing with it because that was how he got him out of the ring is he, Jeff Hardy comes in later and he the starts, Undertaker's yeah. bike is there and he starts fiddling with it and trying to move it around and shit. Y'all don't mess with another man's home. <laughs> and then, so he lures out The Undertaker and then while The Undertaker's like running for his bike Jeff Hardy quickly runs around, nips back into the ring, and then jumps out, knocking a ladder into Undertaker and his motorbike. He's lucky that John Travolta and the rest of the Wild Hogs didn't come down on him like a ton of fucking bricks for that carry-on. <laughs> a ton of bricks. But that's like, that's a really funny little thing he did there. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing little sequence. But I guess it, I wonder then, with that though, are there certain bits or certain pieces of action where they're like, look, this, just let it play out. Don't fucking talk over this and really just let it play out. Like, I mean, I think probably yes, because it's very easy to be done badly. Like, how boring would it be if you had them go, oh, and now Jeff Hardy's meddling with The Undertaker's motorbike and, oh, The Undertaker is exiting the ring and, oh, Jeff Hardy's run around and gone into the ring and now he's jumped out of the ring and he's Probably shouldn't be, the... like, stuff that's patently... Yeah. You shouldn't just be saying exactly what is happening. No, I'm yeah. sure there are ways... 
either by asking questions or saying certain little things that you could get across the point briefly. There's a reason why people don't touch Undertaker's bike. Yeah. There you go, something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, why I'm any mention of a fucking bike, like don't <laughs> yeah. touch his bike, would be good. So then we get to the bit where Jeff Hardy, as far as I could tell, from without visuals, threw The Undertaker into a ladder. This is the thing I was saying. It sounded like it was a full body shot. Yeah. What actually happened was it was a reversal. So The Undertaker was going to throw Jeff Hardy into the ladder, but instead he turned it around and hit him instead. There's a really nasty move there where Jeff jumps onto The Undertaker under a ladder. Really cool move, which again, didn't didn't notice. In it's the, so because we're talking through this now. It's like, these are like all the, the spots. Like, these are the... The moments, like these are the cool things that Jeff done in yeah. this match. Like, as far as I could tell from the commentary, all that happened was Jeff threw the Undertaker into a ladder, <laughs> which you know wouldn't be that impressive compared to what actually. Yeah, happened. that's really athletic, you know. Jeff showing some really good selling here. Again, that's not something really commentators would talk about. But no, there's. I don't know if there's a way commentators could talk about that. Like, there great. is. They could talk about how much pain he's in. Oh yeah, that's true. Great job on the cell there, Jeff. Mm. <laughs> and then we get to the point where Jeff Hardy's hit with something and as far as I could tell, he's landed on the announcer's table. But he's not landed on the announcer's table. Not exactly. He bounced off it and landed on the floor in front of the table. Mm. Then, as far as I could tell, The Undertaker was setting up the ladder nearby. And he wasn't. He was actually setting up the ladder in the ring and he was actually even reaching for the title at this point, The Undertaker. They didn't even say that the ladder had been in the ring at this point. Of course, because that's the moment where it's like, oh, he could win now. Yeah. It was basic, he has the match won. They didn't mention that a ladder was set up. They didn't mention that The Undertaker was on the ladder and they didn't mention that The Undertaker was reaching for the title. I already could have won the match and they didn't also mention as well off the back of that then, wow, Undertaker has lost like has given up an opportunity to end this match right now and keep his championship that's so interesting I think those are like big points you'd hit total on. oversight wow then we get the me- mention from the commentators about Jeff not being left standing and I was saying about how I was hoping there'd be work to his leg there wasn't any work to the leg okay Undertaker slammed Jeff onto the announce table and poor JR had to move away and then Jeff was thrown into the timekeeper's zone Now, this is a bit where I said I couldn't hear what was going on, and it becomes obvious with visuals why that is. He's literally in the crowd at this point. The camera is in where everyone else is. Yeah, yeah. So you cannot hear anything that's going on. But it's funny because you hear crowd noise all the time. Hmm. So if you're in the crowd and you're just hearing crowd noise, you just assume you're where you are normally. You don't think you're in the crowd or anything like that. So it's really weird that suddenly the crowd becomes really noisy and they don't mention that he's in the crowd or that he's (laughs) even near. Obviously they don't need to go, oh, he's fallen into the crowd, but just like the fact that he's in the timekeeper's zone or he's landed on the announcer's table. They should have said they're battling in the WWE universe. (laughs) That's... uh, how I would have said yeah. it. Yeah. It sounds cool. Like space. The Undertaker takes Jeff into the ring and starts dismantling the, the ladder, takes it down. And this is when, as well, on commentary, they start making it sound like Jeff Hardy is potentially career-ending. Yeah, this yeah. This match. Um, Jeff's ankle is in a really scary point in the ladder joint. He's got it in the actual... The joint of the ladder itself. Mm. Again, didn't mention this at all. That's a really scary thing to do to an ankle. On how it would stop him from being able to climb the ladder exactly. and all that. Yeah. yeah. And then The Undertaker does a leg drop onto the ring rope, which is holding up a ladder with Jeff in the middle of it. Now, I get that's a hard thing to explain on commentary. I would almost say that's impossible to describe in that way and still have time for the action to play out yeah but that's all they say at that point is when they get the comment of is it over (laughs) that's all they say 
I wonder if it is just a case that when you've got a match when so much, oh, I guess so. This isn't a match where it's like you know so much stuff happens that you can't keep up with. It. I do genuinely think now that we're talking back through this that they genuinely decide don't say anything for this one. You know, it yeah, that is especially obvious at this next moment. So you remember when I mentioned I haven't heard anyone climbing a ladder yet? Mm. Well, literally at the same point of time as I was writing that, the Undertaker puts the ladder in the corner and then throws Jeff through it and then you've got hardy back on the offensive and he does the corkscrew off the top of something and i wasn't sure what it was so we now know he actually did it off the top rope into the ring which ah. i assumed it was out of and it was fucking beautiful it was, it was just <laughs> as beautiful as i imagined it in my mind even though it was in the ring instead of out of the point where i get to here is where i think he's trying to set up the ladder and he's struggling to stand mm-hmm. but it's really hard to tell what actually was happening he wasn't trying to put up the ladder he was just being bashed around by the undertaker Aww. so very <laughs> unclear all these noises they sound really it's complicated mm. And then we get to the point where I think I hear the Undertaker attack Jeff Hardy, and then Jeff Hardy jumps off the ladder on, jumps off the ladder over the top rope onto the Undertaker. But this went very differently to how I originally thought. So the ladder wasn't up; it was actually wedged between the bottom ropes, and he used it as a jumping platform to leap oh, yeah. over the ropes onto the Undertaker, which is way more impressive yeah. than what they called. Not what I assumed at all, which was that he actually climbed the ladder and then jumped off to outside of the ring. Which is still pretty impressive, but way less impressive no, yeah, than the reality. You, that springboard off that, like, yeah. you know, using it as a, as a bouncy pad was fucking beautiful. And you think as well that's not that difficult thing to try and clarify the difference between someone jumping off a ladder out of the ring and someone jumping on a ladder as a springboard out of the ring. Yeah, and I don't, like, I don't even think this is necessarily saying, like, oh, how shit the commentary is. It didn't say this, that, and the other. But I think it's just interesting that even with a match that you would instinctively identify yourself, and that's really good commentary. It's conveyed a lot of emotion, but it doesn't necessarily do the job that we all assume it would do, which is to tell the story, call, you know, the thing we said at the start, tell the story, call the action, call the spots. Like, a lot of that seems to be left by the wayside. It's really totally, interesting. Totally, And then we have... So, I think Jeff's climbing the ladder, but he's in pain, and then The Undertaker pulls him off. But what actually happened is The Undertaker had Jeff ready for a powerbomb. And Jeff manages to turn it into a Hurricane Rana. Again, a really impressive sequence of events. Mm. Not that difficult to call and very unclear without visuals. Oh, and then he smashes him with the chair, doesn't he? The knockout shot! Yeah, the so knockout Undy's shot. about to powerbomb Jeff, but he reverses it with a chair shot from below. Amazing, mm. amazing. And then it sounds like Jeff's climbing the ladder and he's inches away, okay? But they don't make this clear. It's that not just Jeff is on the ladder. It's The Undertaker and Jeff Hardy. They're both climbing the ladder and they're racing to the top. But Jeff is broken. He's he's beaten up from all The Undertaker's offence. And he's really slow and he's struggling to climb it. And that's when you get no, oh God, no on commentary. <laughs> Which in isolation is the most worrying thing you can hear. You're like, nothing said from it. And they're just, no, oh God, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> And then the rest is pretty much as I thought it would go. So yeah. we, we get The Undertaker doing a choke slam to Jeff off the top of the ladder. The Undertaker wins. Now, what's interesting about that is I don't think they'd ever have any ambiguity about the finish. No. You know, they'll call that clearly. That was eye-opening. Mm. That was absolutely eye-opening. I swear to God, like, even when we were watching it, like, without the visuals, I was like, yeah, totally fucking masterclass. And I still will stand by that as a masterclass in commentary. It's one of my favourite 
calls ever. I think it's so good. The emotion that Jim Ross gets across and how he tells that story. But It's such a different story, though, without the visuals. It is. The fact that without the visuals, it's the story of The Undertaker beating up Jeff Hardy lots and then them Jeff Hardy trying to climb the ladder, The Undertaker pulling him off and instead The Undertaker winning. Instead of what actually happens, which is kind of this to and fro of Jeff trying to climb the ladder, The Undertaker trying to climb the ladder, both of them trying to climb the ladder. And this whole stuff of like Undertaker being arrogant and not finishing the match when he could have and Jeff doing all these kind of Amazing spectacular spots, things. Yeah. Which, again, not mentioned. It, it When you just got the, the audio, it just sounds like Jeff Hardy's being beaten up a fuck ton. It's so interesting because there's a little part in the back of my head and I don't want to give into it, but there's a little voice in my head that's kind of going, oh, that's just because whoever's on the headsets is saying, put over The Undertaker. Mm. Don't put over Jeff Hardy, though, because... Well, there probably is a little bit of that, but ah. that again, highlights a problem, doesn't it, really? Because that's not right. Well, if Jeff Hardy's in there doing all that crazy shit, and then, you know... But, like, for clarity's sake, mm. if, if... I'm sorry, but if the the need to put someone over over someone else means that the story of the match is unclear... Yeah. They've done a bad job. It's, it's hindering. Well, I think it's very obvious, then, I mean, that WWE is under no... At least, at least not then, anyway, in this circumstance, for example, is under no false impressions that they are trying to provide a descriptive audio commentary. It's not what it's, you would think commentary is. Mm. And I think it's very easy if you are using your visuals as well. You kind of go, oh, well, obviously they are going to... You know, they're calling stuff, I'm seeing stuff, so therefore they call the things mm. and they do all those things we talk about at the start. And yet, no. No. Very, very strange. And Jesus Christ, can you imagine what it would be like if we watched some of the fucking dreck? I know. This is like the best commentary. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine what would happen with like David Otunga oh, Jesus. and JBL and all the others that talk all over each other all the time. Something happened, but JBL talked over it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the commentary, trying to figure out what the role should be. And... What's really interesting is that we actually did find this. This was something that was leaked a couple of years ago onto the old intranet. This is a scan of a series of WWE announcing slash on-camera commentary notes. These are guidelines. Now, WWE is constantly changing its guidelines of what announcers can and cannot say. When I first started watching wrestling in the late 90s, I was a fan. I was not a card-carrying member of the Galactic Federation of the WWE Universe. Mm. That, they've changed that since then. We called it wrestling. There was a period of time where we didn't call it wrestling. Now we can call it wrestling. There was a period of time where you couldn't call someone a wrestler or said that they were wrestling. You can do that now, although it's still framed upon. You were even watching wrestling during a time where a woman could not be called a woman. She had to be called a diva. Yeah. So WWE can change their mind a lot. So this is a group of notes that were compiled in 2015. Some of these are things that we've already talked about saying this is what they should do. Mm. And duh, obviously. And other ones seem quite peculiar. So here are some of the main do's and do nots. This is originally from 2010, this one. Do's. Take the high road. Don't be crude. Especially when talking about the divas. Really? It's the, 2010? The top one there. Fuck off. <laughs> 2010. Were they, seriously, were they still doing bra and panties matches at that point? No, no. They this were is, close though, weren't no, they? No, they would have been around four or five years out of that. That's close. Jerry Lawler was still fucking calling them puppies. No, he wouldn't have been. No, that's post PG. We still had PG saying all women hate each other, which, as far as I'm concerned, is crude. I think there's still crudeness that could definitely be interpreted as such. Absolutely. Mm. 
It's just no- what Vince McMahon considers crude, which is basically like the worst measure ever. I'm not sure if everyone got these notes. I'm starting to think so. Like, make your own notes on WWE superstars and keep it up to date. Like Mick Foley did. That's great. It's like something you find in the back of a WWE annual. Hey, guys, make notes of WWE <laughs> superstars. Sit up straight on all cameras. Dress professionally. Talk to your partner and glance at the camera more often than not, depending on the moment. So when they cut to the ring announcers, this is something I like. When they cut to the announcers, and one person, usually Michael Cole, is like, folks want to tell you about this thing that's happening. And the people either side of them have to pull those faces. Mm. Now, at Survivor Series this year, 2017, we had like five or six people on commentary and Michael Cole going, hey guys, just so you know this. And you had like Booker T, Corey Graves, Tom Phillips, everyone just standing there kind of going, I'm a handsome boy and doing their little <laughs> smiles and little, like, there are now, little nod to the camera. Hello there, you know. <laughs> the use of topical info as analogies and examples is a Effective, if not forced. Hmm, take note, JBL. Fully understand the history and heritage of the business as it gives what we are doing today more credibility. Okay, yeah. Have fun. You're a fan. If you don't like this, why should anyone else? Good advice. <laughs> That's really good advice. Okay, now we get into some weird little ones that Vince McMahon has added. These are addendums. Vince McMahon does not want to use the phrase granddaddy of them all to describe WrestleMania. He feels it makes WrestleMania feel old. But that's so... No, that sounds like a... That sounds like a... Oh my God, that's so funny. I'm sorry, but that sounds like such a lie and I totally believe it. It's just really funny that this literally came out around the time Vince became a granddad. I bet he also insists, don't call me granddaddy, it makes me feel old. Please never use the phrase title changing hands ever again. Titles are won and lost. They don't change hands. But they say that all the time. They do, that's true. Please do not use references to five-star matches or match of the year by commentators if the match meant nothing. Vince wants to talk of announcers and tell them to stop reading the dirt sheets. Announcers need to understand what makes a match a good match. Yeah, I can kind of agree with that one, I think. Describe the WWE superstar. If you are to describe who the guys are, it gives them life as the character as opposed to them being just a champion. Say the arrogant world champion, Jack Swagger, etc. <laughs> yeah, I'm using that phrase lots. Always try to be more descriptive with the WWE superstars as opposed to just calling them WWE champion John Cena or world champion. If you are more descriptive, you build their character. And that's, Joe, why we now have monikers. Mm. That's why I was so happy when the big dog, the lunatic fringe, the architect, the kingslayer, all of them came together. I like it. It's a very male idea of what a descriptor is. Well, you know, when you can look at a tag match there, Joe, and you've got the Celtic warrior and the Superman in there with the lunatic fringe, the kingpin, and the kingslayer, brackets slash the architect... You know, it, it's it, you need a moniker, you know? I want to do a game with Joe where on Patreon when we do our pay-per-view reviews. I want to do it for Survivor Series, but you wouldn't let me. But I want to do it for, for some pay-per-view soon, please, if we can, where we can just call them by their monikers. I don't think I'd be able to. I don't even know them. The Cerebral Assassin? The King of Kings? I don't know who the, the Cerebral game, Assassin is. The Crater? The Destroyer? I don't know who any of those people are. It's Triple H. But they're all Triple H. They're all Triple H. <laughs> God's sake. The more monikers you have the better you are. Right. And Triple H has the most monikers. Seriously, to the point of describing things, I do think that's something that they don't do well enough. And honestly, honestly, I think having more women would really help. I think, honestly, it's the thing that women are way better at is describing things and describing people without being offensive or rude. No WWE commentators there. I mean, you had Lita on the Mae Young Classic and with Jim Ross... 
And I think a lot of people ragged on that. But truthfully, I don't think it's a problem with Leah being a woman. I think it's a problem that Leah and JR weren't a great team. She's not great on commentary. She's not. And I think you need to drop this thing that, oh, well, just, well, Leah, she's a Hall of Famer and a really famous wrestler, one of those famous women's wrestlers of all time. If she can't do it, who can? You know? Lots of people. You know. Oh, no, no other woman can. Broadcast no, journalists. There's, there's millions like... of women out there, but because Lisa can't do it, none of the others can. I know you've often asked about Renee Young, but yes. she said on Twitter recently that she said she was horrible at it and she hated doing it. Well, she just wanna... I, I disagree that she was horrible at it. I thought she was fucking amazing. But I just she... loved having a new voice. Yeah, obviously, you know? I loved it. But if she doesn't enjoy it, then fine. I completely understand that. It's not the type of job I would ever want to do in a million years. But it's just, I find it so insulting that they dare to call, you know, they dare to imply that they give women a real shot in WWE when they don't even include women commentators or women re- referees other than well, the one on NXT. We NXT, we got a female referee begging someone to kick fucking Percy Watson out of that chair, put a woman in there, you know, fucking someone to put manners on that rowdy Nigel McGuinness, you know? I mentioned it <laughs> on our last Patreon review, but it's honestly something that's so important for the sake of, of being able to understand what's going on and differentiate between the voices. You need that diversity and you're not going to get it. If you're having only men, come on, this is fucking basic you know it's bad shit but you know it's bad when like on survivor series Corey graves got mixed up between tom phillips and byron saxton yes that's a that's, <laughs> that's a fucking a obvious dancing naked <laughs> sign in your fucking face that there is a problem okay get some more diverse voices on there no cursing don't call bloods do not say a talent does not care about winning a match. Everyone should care about winning a match. If the superstar doesn't care, why should the fans, whenever possible, quote from the superstar themselves? There was a period of time for years when the phrase, you know, I was talking to superstar in the ring in the back earlier on tonight, and they said that they really want to pick up a win here. You know, you have to put it on them, which is really weird. And the other thing about monikers as well, you know, it's not just the... It's not just the catchphrasey monikers you ever notice how Stephanie talks about her how about even I did it do you ever notice how Stephanie talks about Shane McMahon what was it calling him her brother yeah mm. my brother Shane can't be Shane my husband Triple H my father my Smith man it was really awkward because she accidentally called <laughs> she accidentally called Shane her dad on Smackdown oh. It's like, oh, shit. You know, when, when my brother Vince, when my father Vince McMahon was laid out, and my, my husband Vince, oh god, oh god. I mean what? Oh, Vince has an erection. Ah <laughs> uh, no, I didn't say that. You did. Someone's here are, are interesting because we talk about this, but not calling the obvious stuff. Don't say the referee is counting to ten. Instead, say Edge better get back in the ring or he's going to be counted out. Don't say the referee is chanting for Matt Hardy. The audience can hear that plainly, <laughs> except for Joe. <laughs> Sit back, lay out, and let the audience feel the energy of the live crowd. This one I don't guess. Don't say the big show has huge hands. Say the big show's fist is about the size of Chris Jericho's head. Okay, so I... Right, I've been thinking about this, and I kind of think I know where they're coming from, although I may just be giving them way too much credit. Is it a silly place? No. So I figure... Okay, if you're not watching what's going on, you just hear the big show has big hands... You're going to be like, okay, sure, he has big hands. But that doesn't actually mean much. Because, like, big relative to what? They used to say they had a frying pan, like a hand like a frying pan. Right, well, that's quite descriptive. In the same way that saying the big show has hands the same size as Chris Jericho's head (laughs) is more descriptive. You get an idea, then, of the the size of Chris Jericho's head and big show's hands. I really wish we didn't use the big show as an example. Because, you know, they don't change WWE commentary in games. Mm. 
for literally nine years, you heard two phrases. The Big Show's fist is like a honey-glazed ham. Jesus. And then Jerry Lawler would go, The Big Show? You are been around his house? His cereal bowl's so big it needs a laugh guard! Ha-ha! <laughs> so he is big, isn't he? The Big Show is massive. Words to avoid. The forbidden list. Careful. These are forbidden. If you are an employee of WWE, your ears will start to bleed. Please turn off the podcast now. Belt or strap. Mm. It is not a belt, Joe. It's a title. It's a championship title, oh, not a just championship. a title. Okay. It's a belt that holds up your pants. Yeah. And this belt is way too big to hold up pants. Mm, it doesn't you know? even... Yeah, it's way too big. Have you seen Randy Orton? Man can't wear pants because his championship title does not hold up pants. Mm. Don't say the business or our industry. The word feud. Hatred. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What are you supposed to say instead of the business or the industry they say the business all the fucking time yeah. oh, oh triple h says the business i guess mm. industry they say a lot as well definitely feud war hatred performer performance choreograph they say performer and performance all the time absolutely this is the ones they've obviously changed their mind on here backstage i say that, that- so they say that fucking every 20 seconds i feel like i say that I say the phrase backstage and coming up next. I, th- those two things I've said more than anything else in my life because of podcasting. <laughs> Thanks a lot, WWE. Never say house show. Use live events. Don't say pro wrestling or pro wrestler. Superstar. Athletes. Don't use the word... Wait, don't, in- don't say superstar or athlete. Yeah, no, say superstar or athlete oh, instead. Okay. Don't say international. Global. Acrobatics. Interesting. Don't say it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I guess actually that... No, that's actually quite a good point because like, if you're an English teacher and yeah. your student's written something is interesting, you're going to be like... Nice is the other one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, don't call it interesting or nice. It doesn't mean anything. Tell me more about it. Don't say talent, me, I. That's a big one. Pronouns. Pronouns. Don't say, oh, look, he's going after him there. Uh-uh. The Celtic warrior Seamus is going after him there, I think you mean. But then I'd say him. So how does he say him? The Celtic warrior Seamus is going after the lunatic fringe Ambrose Asylum. Okay, so again, that one sounds odd. But again, if you think about it in terms of like, you can't see what's going on, you're just hearing it. That's yeah. actually more helpful if they're using names instead of just hey, him now, versus him. When we've clearly scientifically shown they don't give a fuck about I know they don't give a fuck, <laughs> but at least some of their rules seem to be setting some groundworks for trying to give a fuck. Here's a weird one. Don't use the word hospital. Medical facility. Oh, that, they don't. No, they say hospital all the time. Don't say on sale. They say now available. I'm pretty sure they use medical facility as well. I'm trying to think about hospital. Uh, Taken to a local medical facility. I'm I'm pretty sure. They say ambulance. Yeah, they do say ambulance. (laughs) Medical vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember Braun Strowman pushed over that medical vehicle? That was incredible. Vehicle. The only other ones which I can think of that were particularly of note to go back to WCW for a few moments. WCW changed hands in the corporate world a few times in terms of who was running it within the Turner organization. And sometimes people running it were very worried about, you know, people being offended. You know, political correctness gone mad. There was a time in wrestling that if you went out of the ring and you grabbed like a chair or the ring bell or something or you know a hammer or whatever, it's called a foreign object because you know it's not belonging to the confines of the wrestling ring in the match. You've said this one before. International object, That's yeah, the one. baby, fucking love that shit. That's so funny. 
Well, we've talked about commentary. We've looked at commentary from, I think, a unique point of view. And we've checked out some examples of amazing commentary. Now it's time to get into some of your tweets and your Facebook posts. Tell us what you think makes for good commentary. And here are some of your responses. So from CMG586, not a match, but JR during the Kurt Angle milk truck segment is one of my all-time favourites. It's homogenised. <laughs> the hard stuff. I had to include that because that's one of my favourite moments. Literally, so funny. where I'm at the Attitude podcast at the moment, I just watched that raw, like, <laughs> so it's the fucking best. WR Central says, educate the viewer by explaining the rules, telling the story of the match, and drawing attention to the moves. I really fucking feel strongly about that because I... Don't know if I've said this, but I really... It's come, it's come across in the Patreon reviews a few times because when we started doing this, particularly with the current product, I really thought that the commentary... Like, I thought the commentary is annoying for people like me who have watched wrestling for so long that it's talking down to me and being dumb and being stupid. It's like, I know this. I know. I know. Of course I know. Call the moves. And I thought it would be helpful, though, for a new fan. And yet, I really feel it's a hindrance. Yeah, you know. When it's done right, it's a help, but no, mm. more often than not, it's not done right. CSD Xylon136 says, It takes the perfect chemistry of personalities to create magic, like Heenan, Monsoon, Ventura, Monsoon, Lawler, and Ross to work. Yeah, and I can think of examples of like really good announcers who worked horribly together. Like JR and Taz worked together before and it wasn't good. JR did some pretty fucking ropey announcing for New Japan this past year. Like everyone's like, every, I think at least. It can be said that every announcer who people point as being amazing has had a commentary pairing that is shit. Yeah. So, yeah. Double Cross King says, I'd love commentators to really link the actions in the ring together as a wrestler's game plan so that not only does it justify what they've just done, but it also makes me actively start to think about where each wrestler's strategy should be going next. That's so interesting. That happened once in the entire run and we did all the pay-per-views from the Attitude Era. There was one match we watched. It was the one long match, which was an Iron Man match, which was 60 minutes. And you know, we did a, a lot of long matches for our episode on kind of marathon matches. And I always thought it was really interesting. That one match, the commentary, they completely changed it. They started talking about, why is he doing that headlock? Well, he's doing the headlock because he wants to disorientate his opponent. He's working on the legs. He's wor- he's d- they just 
did a different load of commentary. Yeah. And we fucking loved it. It was like, whoa, this makes it so much more interesting. Yeah. And even Jerry Lawler's like, look, I've been in the ring and it may not look like much, but if you get a suplex off the top rope, it throws off your, your balance. And I was like, oh, wow, this is fucking great. But I genuinely think there's so many other things that are like, have to do like you know if you've ever been on radio and you have to you have to do the news you have to hit this plug you have to do the ident you know and there's so much shit you want to do but it's like i have to do all this other stuff and i genuinely think that goes by the wayside for the other things science pie says one of the few things i like in modern product is commentators not selling misses and skiffs like it really broke immersion when he knew no contact was made but they still went crazy (laughs) (laughs) now much more like to say like oh he or she just caught them but not full force etc i think that was solely because when john cena started doing that god-awful springboard stone cold stunner thing that he i think he hit once in his entire career so they had to come up with the phrase didn't get all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Dan TV Man says, help new fans, further storylines and characters, keep the show flowing and cover for mistakes. Oh, that one is so fucking important. Covering for mistakes. Like, there. Are, I remember watching some like, indie stuff and the Insane Clown Posse, they do commentary on their own indie federation and if someone fucks up, they bury it. Oh. It's like, Tombstone Palmer and it looked like shit. He fucked it up. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, why did you pay him money to be on your show then, you fucking idiots? Rob Lieb says, lead guy should call the match and make me care about it. The colour commentary should make me laugh. Mm. Make you laugh, make you think. I don't know if it has to just be comedy, but I'm trying to think now of a good colour commentary. Everyone I've loved has made me laugh. Heyman's made me laugh. Jerry's made me laugh. Bobby Heenan has made me laugh. Like all of them. Yeah. Make, Corey Graves makes me laugh. All the considered greats have all made me laugh. So I guess it is important. You have to be able to do the jokes. Yeah. Dino P says the best commentary teaches young viewers how wrestling works in kayfabe without being too overt and Gorilla and Jesse were best at it. Mm. Kavin says being able to put over the athletes, their characters, their feuds and the storyline of the match in an entertaining matter. The Civvy says important commentary aspects, calling moves correctly, enhancing the in-ring story, entertaining face and heel dynamic and never allowing there to be silence. Oh man, silence can be awkward. They did an angle on WWE's version of ECW in 2008 or so where one of the commentators was really crap and everyone knew he was crap. So they used to this angle like to mix things up. They made him just leave commentary in the middle of the main event. He just got up and left. And then his partner was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he got up and left. So the main event played out in pure silence. Wow. And I know when we went to Raw Live recently and you were saying it was a bit strange not hearing the commentators mm-hmm. while stuff was going on. But man, watching a WWE TV show with all the cuts and the replays and there's no talking. It's fucking diabolical. Anytime there's a lull, it's weird. Mm. Someone should be saying something. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I don't listen to it. <laughs> James D. Leach says, be invested. If they care about a wrestler or match outcome, I'm more likely to care. The best commentators are infectious. Absolutely. And the best commentators care. Something that I think Michael Cole never gets fair dues for, but in his time, particularly in his early run, like when he was a lead commentator in like 2002 onwards, he used to go to wrestlers and ask them like, you know, do you want me to come up with names for these moves? And he would come up with names for a lot of the wrestlers' wow. finishers that didn't have them. Because if you're a mid-card guy and you hit a finisher and it's just, oh, incredible move, or you hit him with that move, yeah. <laughs> you know? It doesn't help them either. No, but if you give it a name, it's like, oh, you hit this thing. It's like, oh, that's a brand. That's a fucking name all of a sudden. It means a lot more. So I don't think anyone can do more passively to enhance, but also potentially ruin a wrestler's career than a commentator. Yeah. Do you know the Ascension? Mm. 
You like the Ascension now, right? Now, yeah. Now as what? What's their role now? It's comedy sidekicks. When they first came in, okay, they were meant to be this fucking kid, like, bro, like, you know, this old, like, tag team from the 80s, like the, the fucking, the, the Road Warriors were or something, like, real killers. And they came in, and straight away on commentary, JBL started going, I hate these guys. They're a bunch of rip-offs. They think they're the Road Warriors. They're nothing. Look at that stupid eye makeup they have. And the idea he had was that I'm being a heel, and I'm frustrated by this. And Idiot. guess what? Everyone thought they were a joke. Yeah. Because he's misunderstood the concept of being a heel colour commentator, which is the thing I was saying earlier. It's not just about being a dick. Yeah. There's more to it than that. Corey Graves with Elias Sampson's how you can hate someone yeah. and not ruin their fucking career. Yeah. There are ways to insult someone while still putting them over. Absolutely. Um, from Greg Richardson, we have, well, obviously the most important part of commentary is telling you how to use tout <laughs> or tweet their hashtags like this. Hashtag how to commentary. We'd be great commentators. I'm just saying. I wouldn't be. And I am comfortable with that. It's a horrible, stressful job and I don't want it, but you'd be great. I'd love to try it sometimes. Honestly, there's very few things that I've not tried that I'd like to try and that I would like to try sometime. We also asked you guys to let us know what you thought was the worst part of commentary. Anything that like really takes you out of a moment or you just hate. Jamie McDonald said, WCW had a bad habit of talking about nothing but the NWO when a completely unrelated match was on, which would be really confusing if you just had to listen and yeah. you just had suddenly the story of another match. Well, how are you supposed to know what's going on? That's not just a WCW problem. I would say WWE during the Attitude Era, they would talk about it. What's Steve Austin up to? What's Vince McMahon up to? What's The Rock up to? And I think their defense is, well, that those are the main stars. Fans are tuned in want to know what's going on with the main stars. But yeah, it takes you out of that match. Totally does. Piers Filmlid says, please mention Art, how much does this guy weigh, Donovan and the uh-oh woman from Mania 2? <laughs> well, I showed Joe Art Donovan just before we started here. Just a little like hit list of him going, how much does this guy weigh? And how much does this guy weigh? Or, how could that guy over there? He's but dressed like a businessman. It's the one piece of information about a wrestler you always get. Making his way to the ring from fucking Lancaster, Pennsylvania, weighing in. And how much does this guy weigh? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Art, you fucking moron. <laughs> and yeah, there was a lady, WrestleMania 2. We talked about how to WrestleMania, how you know, they did three different locations mm. at once and it was a fucking clusterfuck. Yeah. Vince McMahon had some lady on. She was like the wife of some NBC executive. She was some she was some socialite, well-to-do lady, and she didn't have much to say about wrestling other than, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, sounds like Jerry Lawler. Uh-oh. Yeah, but at least Jerry Lawler. Ah! Oh, because he does an annoying voice. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Finally, we have Amazing Pseudo saying, I need Joe doing an impression of Vince McMahon's What a Maneuver. Thank you in advance. Okay, here goes. What a maneuver! <laughs> <laughs> Favourite announcer of all time, still. My problematic fave. <laughs> Well, thanks everyone for your amazing tweets. And yeah, I know there's a few things we've talked about here, like talking about captions, talking about you know the visuals and commentary and stuff. If you have anything to add to the conversation, please, we're always interested. After the episode, use the hashtag HowToCommentary. If you've got any feedback or stuff from this episode, we would love to know. And thank you everyone for your match recommendations. There were so many different questions I asked and helped inform the kind of direction we went here. The people who reached out and helped us about some of the kind of questions and topics we had, the people who helped the research really really appreciate it guys particularly as well that we had our kind of our period of being mia so uh, i really appreciate all the help and all the tweets and all the activity 
in our brief absence. It's time now to announce what our next episode is going to be, and it's a very, very unique one. For the first time, we are going into a world where you and I have found ourselves quite a bit in the last 12 months, Joe. I'm talking about the world of British independent wrestling. We've had a request from Patreon, a long-standing request, and we're very excited but very much need your guys' help with this one. We're doing Jimmy Havoc, one of the most iconic and most influential names in British wrestling, someone who's influential, someone who has been seen up and down the country in so many different organizations. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I've seen Jimmy Havoc perform live a few times. I've seen a few YouTube clips. I fucking love what I've seen. But I don't know a whole lot about Jimmy Havoc. And much like in previous times where there's been a wrestler where my knowledge is a bit lacking, I'm turning it over to you guys, the How To Universe, to help fill in the blanks. There are a lot of incredibly amazing stories involving Jimmy Havoc. And I think Jimmy Havoc, from what I can tell, has been instrumental in showing that you can do high concept, big storylines on an independent level. And I really want to see it. You need to fill me in so I can fill in Joe. We're after matches, famous feuds, storylines, promos, anything you can get your hands on. And I know some people feel very passionate about Jimmy. He's a lot of people's favorite wrestler. He's someone who... There's a lot of people who want people to know more about. I want us to do a really great job because I don't just want you to learn more, Joe, and me to learn more, but I think this can be effective for a lot of people to learn more about Mr. Havoc. So if you've got a long-form kind of essay or you've got thoughts about Jimmy and his career or his storylines, please, by all means, head over to facebook.com slash wrestling. There'll be a post there. If you want to do a long-form answer, you can always email us to howtowrestling at gmail.com head over to our website howtowrestling.com and send us a message there or as always use the hashtag on twitter hashtag howtojimmyhavoc and we are hoping to find out loads more about this man all I can tell you is that right now our illustrator Dan is very excited to draw him because I think he's probably I would say he's the most uh, anime looking wrestler that we've come across yes but he's the first one with a visor he's got a visor he's got a visor I just knew he had kind of a mouth oh that's oh, a yeah, visor no, is yeah, it he's got like a mouth guard thing hasn't he like a Darth Vader He's got. He's the only wrestler with a respirator. <laughs> we thought Kane did, but apparently it was just the doctors, the doctors that he had to hurt. So yeah, myself, Kevin, admitting a part, a blind spot in my wrestling knowledge, and turning it over to you, the fans. You guys are going to really be instrumental in making this episode. We can't wait to hear what you have to say about old Jimmy Havoc. But until next time, thank you so much, everyone, for helping out with how to commentary. Thank you for biding through us and supporting us throughing this. A tumultuous time but here we're in a house Joe can plaster we've got carpets and electricity and we can record so as far as I'm concerned all's right in the world again yeah and thank you everyone once again if you want to check out our other episodes you can do so by heading over to soundcloud.com slash howtowrestling or on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio we're working to get the podcast up on Spotify in the new year so those of you who are looking for that it shall hopefully happen soon Guys, if you want to support How To Wrestling, you can do so in many ways. Of course, as always, if you want to support us, you can tell a friend about the show. You can tweet in and help us out with the new episode. You can go back and check out all our other episodes. But if you want to get access to some more juicy content, the one way to do it is patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. You can get access to some amazing audio goodies for your ears. 
Best thing about becoming a backer for us on Patreon is you can get access to a whole bevy of bonus content. Joe and I have been reviewing full pay-per-view review episodes, every single pay-per-view WWE has done, and a few NXT specials and bonus episodes along the way. Since SummerSlam 2015, there are now over three dozen bonus episodes that you can get instant access for for a mere $5. You can follow Joe's journey all the way from Jon Stewart's inaugural appearance in SummerSlam 2015, all Welcome to our most recent episode, Clash of Champions, which is just coming out very, very shortly. If you want to support us for one month, you can. You still get access to all the episodes. Every month you support, you get access to additional episodes. Guys, thank you everyone who continues to support us on Patreon so far. You make this podcast possible. You make this very important service about teaching new fans about the world of wrestling possible. And we thank you for your continued patronage and your support. And we can't wait to bring you more goodies and more audio content for our backers going forward into 2000. 2018. There's going to be some changes to our Patreon in the coming months. We'll keep you guys abreast of all of those, but for all your updates and what's happening in the world of Hate Wrestling, as always, HateTreeWrestling.com. Until next time, and Jimmy Havoc, it's a goodbye for me, Kevin. And a goodbye for me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya! What an episode! <laughs>